long ago, in a galaxy far, far away. There exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. This is their story. Stan Lee presents Star Wars, the greatest space fantasy of all. Welcome to Star Wars Monthly Monday, number 48. I am Scott Gardner. And I am Chris Honeywell. This episode is very special for us because not only does it mark a milestone of sorts as we reach issue 100 of Marvel Star Wars, but we are incredibly honored to have with us one of the talents that I feel truly elevated this title and made it the great and fun comic that we all look back on with such fond memories. Now, you probably know him best from his epic runs on The Avengers, Action Comics, the Amazing Spider-Man, and together with Bob Layton, what many, myself included, consider the character-defining run on the Invincible Iron Man. His uh, work includes stints on such diverse characters and titles as the original Swamp Thing, House of Mystery, Jonah Hex, Star-Spangled War Stories, The Karate Kid, Marvel Team-Up, and Web of Spider-Man, and that's just to name a few. And his handling of Aquaman is still the best that that poor beleaguered character ever had. And uh, Adventure Comics 452, I just got to say, still stands as one of the best punch-in-the-gut endings I've ever read in comics. For this episode, we've brought him in to discuss his fantastic work on what could have been, and what, honestly, by all rights, what should have been the weakest link in the Marvel Star Wars saga, that interminable wait between The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. But instead... He took what should have been just wheel spinning and turned it, you know, he hit the ground running and turned it into the fastest paced, most exciting and most original run of the entire title, in my opinion, producing what for many of us are our favorite characters, our favorite environments, our favorite storylines, such as the Tarkin space station, Pliff and the Hoojibs, the return to Cloud City, Shira, Bree, (laughs) (laughs) now that we know how to pronounce it, uh, Luke Skywalker, Pariah, and the introduction of Fen Shisa. So we'll be discussing all of that, and uh, time permitting, getting in a little bit to uh, the further adventures of Indiana Jones, which we're now right in the midst of covering on the show. And, of course, anything else he wants to talk about. It is my extreme pleasure to welcome to the show Mr. David Michelini. Uh, thank you so much. I'm, I'm honored, pleased, and I'm having a little problem with my headset because you just made my head... Well, so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's all sincere uh, and and all from the bottom of my heart. I, I we are we are really really happy to have you here. Oh gosh, thank you. Now, I'm impressed. You sp- you pronounced my name right <laughs> for the first time in my life. <laughs> I I would not have gotten it right. I would have I would have screwed it up. So I'm glad Scott answered. <laughs> well, that's okay. I would have answered anyway. All my life, I, I will be perfectly upfront. All my life, I've always said um, either Michelini or Michelini, and then uh, by just dumb luck and happenstance, I was reading something recently. I, I can't remember what it was. I, I think you had written into a, a fanzine or something 
with a pronunciation guide. And that's the first time I'd ever seen it actually phonetically spelled out. And I was like, okay, well, I have been pronouncing it wrong all these years. So, <laughs> Well, it, it, I remember Jim Shooter wrote in a, one of his editorials or something that it rhymes with pickle my knee. So that's, that's probably the <laughs> Maybe that, yeah, I think that's what I saw because that's exactly how, how it was said. So that must have been what I saw, yes. <laughs> Yeah, it, well, when people start mispronouncing David, that's that's when I get upset. But most of the time, I'll answer to anything, anything close. And I, I agree with Scott on pretty much his whole... Um, I was talking with him last night about um, basically how... I, I mean, we were reading this Star Wars comics, I think, is pretty much responsible for getting Scott and I both reading comics mm-hmm. as oh. kids and, and going to the store and buying them. And oh. uh, I always enjoyed the Star Wars comics... But it was about that time when you started writing that it started feeling like Star Wars to me, like movies, oh. like it was being translated to the to the comic. So, uh, and I, I I think between you and like Joe Duffy, Joe Duffy, yeah, oh. yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that was that was one of my goals is to just to make it sound like the movies. So, I thanks for showing me I succeeded. <laughs> Well, as we as we always like to do when we have special guests on, we we would like to get your Star Wars origin story, both you know Star Wars the phenomenon and and that the movie how you discovered it, but also uh, how did you basically how did you get the gig? How did you become uh, the the regular writer for Star Wars? Well, I, I remember going to see Star Wars in I think it was a Lowe's theater in Manhattan when it opened, and nobody knew what it was going to be. It was just you know a space movie. You'd seen some trailers and this, that, and the other. I went with a couple of friends, and we just we came out with our jaws hanging down to the pavement. We were just blown away. I've loved the Star Wars movies ever since. So when it when the opportunity arose, when I heard that um, uh, the Archie Goodwin was leaving the book. Uh, I went to, I believe it was Louise Jones, who was the editor at the time, and I, I asked to do it, because uh, at the time, there wasn't a lot of prestige to license characters. It was People mostly wanted to do the Marvel characters, uh, the superheroes, and so forth. Licensed characters, there wasn't a line of people waiting to do licensed characters in general. And I, I loved the movie so much that I, I thought, my gosh, to be able to play in this in this sandbox with these characters would be fantastic, and and it was because I remember when I was a when I was a little kid and I'd go to see a Tarzan movie. I, I'd come home on a Saturday afternoon and I'd tie a, a rope to a, a tree branch and swing around and make up my own Tarzan stories after mm-hmm. seeing the movies. And this was like people were actually paying me to write new stories with these incredible characters in this incredible setting. So that's how I got it. I pretty much asked for it. And, and, and I was, got the assignment, which was terrific. Now, right from the get-go, were you to be the regular ongoing writer? Because I, you know, your run is is immediately interrupted right after the t- to take the Tarkin storyline by, honestly, what's probably the worst run, you know, the worst couple of issues in there, which was it was that John Carter fill-in story. Yeah, I, I was the regular writer, but uh, the book. There, there, there were um, some deadline and schedule problems, and they needed to 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 buy some time. So there were this, this two-part story uh, that had been done, um, what they call for the drawer, and others for inventory. Right. So they took that out and they they stuck it in uh, while I was writing, you know, the next stories to buy us some time. 
definitely felt like that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it did. <laughs> well, sometimes that happens when yeah. uh, when schedules matter. Um, these days, they don't seem to matter as much. So, but uh, back then, you know, they they were trying to keep on schedule, and you know, it's it's a shame having your run, especially with trying to get some momentum going. But you know, sometimes it happens. Well, one of the things that I think really distinguishes your run, in addition to, you really did introduce the best characters in the whole run, in my opinion. I mean, my two favorite characters of the entire series are Shira and Fenshaisa, and, uh, and you introduced both of them. But also, I think one of the other really distinguishing things is you predicted so many things that were going to happen in mm-hmm. Return of the Jedi. And I know Chris is uh, is itching to talk to you about, what did you call it, Chris? Limitations? The, yeah, all the limitations that would be involved in in writing. I mean, I'm sure when you write any character on a, a comic book or something, there's some sort of Bible that you go by that tells you what their history is and what you can and can't do. But it must have been doubly so with both Star Wars and Indiana Jones, you know, because you had, you know, on the level of Marvel and then on the level of Lucasfilm. And, um, I mean, did they hand you a big stack of rules of, you know, this is, this is taboo or did you just sort of have to figure that stuff out as you went along? No, actually my only Bible's, for writing Star Wars were the two movies that had come out. I, I, I watched them, and uh, I, I tried to stick as close to them as possible. I mean, I figured, you know, people aren't going to be reading Star Wars to read David McElhinney's stories. They're, they're reading it because they want to read Star Wars mm-hmm. stories. So I tried very hard to keep the characters and the dialogue and the situations true to the nature of the movies. I remember two specific... Uh, taboos, and one change they asked. The two taboos, we could not get Han Solo out of carbonite, and we could not have a direct confrontation between Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. Now, we got around that by having, um, uh, as I did in the one annual I wrote, I did a Han Solo story, but it was a flashback, so Mm -hmm. at least we got Han into it somehow. And then uh, when Walt Simons and I were, were doing the book, Walt, Walt, Walt had a hand in the plotting in most of the stories. We had Darth Vader appearing at the, the end, and from sense out it was a hologram, So, but we got Darth in. We couldn't have the direct confrontation, and we could not uh, get Han out of Carbonite. The one thing that was changed that we asked was in my original story, the two-part uh, to take the Tarkin, I had a second Death Star being constructed. We were told, uh-uh, can't do that. You know, we pretty much assumed at that point, aha, <laughs> guess right. what's going to happen in the third movie. <laughs> so we changed it to just basically the ion cannon with a lot of tchotchkes and stuff around it, and we, we kept the story, but you know, changed it from the Death Star. But those are the only, I was given a lot of freedom. Those are pretty much the only um, restrictions that I was given on uh, on Star Wars. Now, it must be, I, I would imagine, very gratifying that your characters... Uh, seem to be like the big, um, I don't know what you I guess guest stars, as it were, later in the EU. I know that both of the, those characters have b- come back and been used in the EU uh, later on. Are, are you familiar with that material at all? 
I'm not sure what EU means. It sounds like you're commenting on the stories. EU. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, you know, in, in the expanded universe, which I'll, you know, I'll profess ah. right up front, I don't really know all that much about, but I've been kind of dipping my toe into that for the for the first time. Uh, I know that both uh, Fen Shisa and uh, Shira, as the uh, the Lumia character, ha- have been used in that as well. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, I mean, I would have reused them had I stayed on the book as well. So you use, uh, you use what's there. It's great for continuity uh, because people who read the stories all along, oh, this person's back, oh, I'm going to see what's happened to that person and so forth. So, I mean, whenever I've taken over any book, I've, I frequently pull things from the past and from continuity to, to keep it going. Plus, there's, you know, it's a, it's, it's a pool of things to use to, to uh, develop your stories. It, they're tools. So, um, what was the question? <laughs> well, I was just I was just saying it, it must be very gratifying to have those ah. those characters still around and 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 so beloved that sort of thing. And I'm oh, sure I'm excited to hear that they that they would have come back. Now, where they went with Shira was that kind of the direction you were headed as well. You know, I don't know. I I have read very little Star Wars beyond. I, I, I rarely read books after I leave them. Because I figured they can either be really bad, and that will, you know, irritate me if they do things I don't, I didn't want to do with the character. Or they can be really good, and I'll feel jealous. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm really not that familiar with what happened in the books after uh, after I left them. I see. Now I've often wondered, and maybe this is all hindsight now, because of course we know how the saga played out with Return of the Jedi and everything. But as I hinted in in my introduction, I've always imagined that it must this must have been a tough era of Star Wars to write because of the way Empire ended. You know, Star when when we left off with the original Star Wars, we had a you know it was wide open. There was a total clean slate, and you could create anything you wanted to. And I always imagined that it was completely different post the Empire Strikes Back because we kind of knew, you know, because of just the ending of that movie. Did you ever feel because your writing doesn't reflect that you that there was any limitations or anything as far as where you could go and and the things that you could do beyond what was imposed by Lucasfilm. So I, I've always just wondered how you may have did you feel stymied or did you feel like it was still a, pretty much a clean slate? It was difficult, like you say. It was I had to tread water for a couple of years. Uh, I really couldn't move the characters forward or the relationships Mm -hmm. forward although i did you know try a little bit so i tried to move them sideways and do interesting things with them but yeah i was it was a stasis of the storyline and uh it was a challenge and it made me be more creative to try to do star wars stories that i couldn't really move forward but uh, like i said it was a challenge and even with with the limitations of of being stuck in this this limbo between movies it was just it was just so much fun writing the characters that it, uh, you know, that that made up for any difficulties there may have been in the, uh, you know, dealing with the timeline. Uh, I, I can tell you in all honesty, it does not feel that way. Uh, that no, it's 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 like kind of pretty much to me the golden era. Yes. Of of the and especially in story, but it was sort of in in the way the art was working at that point too. That was the time. When it truly felt like an extension of the movie, you know, it, it it had I think it had a lot to do with with your writing. It also had a lot to do with 
there'd been some more time for people to see the movie over and over again and get mm. more used to the characters. So, like, a lot of the Star Wars stories I notice that they write these days are a lot better than some of the early Star Wars stuff because they have the benefit of six movies and all yeah. the character development of that, too, and all the details and story elements to work with, whereas Marvel Star Wars had, from the beginning, you know, when the once number six was done, they had nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and you didn't really know where the characters were going and the backstory of of Darth Vader and and stuff like that and yeah that period should have been sort of doldrums it should have been and it's it's totally not that's that's not. what's so impressive is it you know we we have through the the nature of this show you know we've been going issue by issue through the series and and reading them and reviewing them and it's been so much fun that you know something like this that we enjoyed as kids for the thrills and the spills and the characters and that sort of thing. We enjoyed it on that level. Now as adults to go back and re-examine this, and I feel like it's been a pleasant discovery that, wow, this really should have been what, what you said, you know, just treading water. It really should have been that, yet it wasn't. There really is, you, you did a masterful job of, of creating that illusion of progression in the story. It really felt like things were going somewhere even with, you know, so what? Han was off in Carbonite, you still managed to make it feel like, well, we're just going to carry forward w without that character. And it, uh, just amazing job. Oh, gosh, uh, thank you again. <laughs> <laughs> you see, I, I, I was talking with um, our friend Josh Baker again last night, and Scott, and one of our first podcasts was talking about, in, in the theoretical sense, now it's a reality, how hard it would be to have to come up with a storyline for a new Star Wars movie, you know, in episode seven, yeah. and how you would make a character arc or a story arc that would compare to the, you know, giant arc of six other movies and still make it compelling. And, and by the end of, we, we did a whole episode where we were trying to figure out what we would do who, what characters we would have, how we, we would plot out the story. And by the end of, what was it, probably about two hours of talking about it, we, were, we just admitted we were stumped. Stymied, and we, yeah. would, we would never <laughs> want to do it. We would never. We pitied the poor writer who would ever get that job if it was ever to happen. Uh, and uh, I, um, I would love to be a part of Star Wars in any way probably except for the writer of <laughs> episode seven. And I'm very curious now that it's going to happen, how they're going to do that because I'm stumped. I'm, I mean, uh, are, are, have you, um, are you a fan or have you watched the prequel trilogies? Oh, I've got all of them on DVD. Of course. I love the movies. The original trilogy is of course the real star Wars, but uh, you know, the, the prequels were all, you know, visually, stunning and i remember the excitement i felt when i f saw the first trailer for uh mm -hmm. the, f the first prequel which I, I refused to call episode one um <laughs> and i thought wow oh, star wars and the music mm -hmm. you know the john williams and the these things coming out of the mist oh it's great and uh you know I, I i expect to feel the same enthusiasm all these years later when i see the first trailer for episode seven and I uh, just, I hope, you know, they get good people on it. They get good writers, particularly. 
and, and, and get a mm-hmm. good story with compelling characters, then, uh, man, I have hopes. I have hopes. I don't know if they'll be dashed, but I'm hoping. That was sort of the, the gist of our conversation last night was there's always a big hoopla over <clears throat> who the director is. But really, you know, really you should be paying attention to who the writer is. That's the person who's going to create the whole world from nothing. So, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think they're both, uh, yeah, you got to have a good foundation with the story, with, with the script. And then if the editor's good, uh, editor, um, director, <laughs> I worked in comics too long. Uh, <laughs> the director, you've got a good director to put that on the screen and understands good storytelling and stuff, then you'll, you'll have a good, uh, a good experience, and let's hope we do. Well, I tell you, speaking of good writers working on Star Wars, you know, now that uh, both Star Wars and uh, Marvel are in-house Disney properties, you know, <laughs> yeah. and it's going to be coming back at some point here in the future, if they approached you, if they asked you, would you return to Marvel Star Wars? Uh, that's about as... Them at Marvel asking me to do anything these days is about as likely as me walking to the moon. I mean, they, they have had no interest in having me work for them whatsoever. What few projects I've had have come through other people. So it's, it's like it's a, it's, it's a question that, you know, why even think about it? It's not going to happen. That's a shame. That's a real shame. I, I'd love to, well, I'd love know, to have I you mean, tackle some, some more Star Wars. It's like yesterday, I sat down and spent the day reading my entire run on Star Wars so I could be fresh for, for this conversation. It's the first time I'd read them in decades. And I was reading stuff, and I thought, oh, I could touch on that. Oh, I, this, is, this could follow this. Oh, this character could come back. You know, I started getting ideas. It's the writer in me. So, and it's, it's like, you know, would I write Star Wars in any form, way, or manner? Probably. I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, may, you know, maybe we'll start a petition. Exactly. <laughs> yes, it's, that was what I was going to say. <laughs> now, now, you, now you've now you've lit my my imagination on fire. I'm I'm dying to know what some of these ideas. Well, I want to I want to you know see them realized because that would be awesome. Well, they may have already been realized. I mean, things like Finchaisa, you know, and and, and stuff like that. And Shira Bree's still alive, and there was. The the characters oh the who was it I, I I'm gonna flip through the comics here but there's a bunch of characters that, oh the, um, the there was a fill in Ron Friends did the darker where there's this this creature and living in an abandoned city inside Arbra the, the, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and his race moved to another planet or another planet I thought what if what are they doing now right you know, what if we run into them and see what's happened to them. That's the kind of thing that, uh, you know, thing that sparks an idea. I was just thinking, why not just shoot for the moon here? And what would what would be the first thing you would do if, if say, you were hired to write the story for a new for the new Star Wars movie? <laughs> besides, besides, you know, have to be like medicated, or, you know, or yeah, I, or, I was or in my contract. I, in my contract, I would have to have a clause guaranteeing me guaranteeing me prepaid psychiatric aid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I have no idea. I mean, I, I've written... I mean, my, my schooling is in TV and film. Uh, yeah. my, my degree is in, in mass communications, and I, I've done a couple of couple of TV animated episodes and a, a couple of short independent films, but as far as writing a big, epic Star Wars, I, it would be a challenge, but I have no idea. I well, it's never occurred to me. I'm thinking just in terms of um, 
not not even you know writing the full script but how would you even um wrap your mind around plotting it out you know coming up with a a good a good plot for it i i'd go back and watch all the movies mm-hmm. again uh, the first thing i would do i think george uh, should have done would... that <laughs> may i quote you <laughs> well see now now i'm playing into i'm playing into that whole prequel hey actually chris and i are, are quite the fans of the prequel stuff so i'm i'm kind of playing wow. to the to the I, stereotype but no at the same rate i while i consider myself a fan of the saga as a whole i'm i'm totally with you that no the original trilogy is still most definitely where it's at the other one's more of a of a guilty pleasure of well, you the, know the, the thing about the the new movies is they can be in i i can enjoy them and i can acknowledge level. the the faults that are right. that are mm-hmm. in them also and not really have it it doesn't really worry me that that much you know it doesn't bother me i should say no i i i agree i mean like i say i have the prequels on on dvd i've watched them i i can enjoy them they were like doesn't the dialogue though to a writer doesn't that dialogue just sort of (laughs) yeah but you know you go through the first star wars movie the true episode one the star Uh wars and you listen to especially some of the dialogue i mean watching that movie i can so appreciate mark hamill because he was so sincere in delivering his lines some of the lines that uh uh um, uh, Harrison Ford and um, uh, Carrie Fisher had were just so corny. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was, it was difficult to get by, even though I love the movie. But you know, it, the lines were so corny in that, and yet it was it was so a, a great movie. So it's like, but then you brought in Kirshner for the second one, and uh, Mark Wand, I think it was for the third one, and you know that dialogue gets better. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, well, I, then you the had. Lawrence Kasdan writing the uh, you know, Empire Strikes Back too, and right, you know, oh, he's terrific. With he's yeah, terrific. with real like human dialogue in there, something something the actors could work with. Because I knew that was a lot of times, you know, Alec Guinness and Harrison Ford would stop George Lucas and say, "People don't talk like this, man. They don't. <laughs> they don't speak like this." And they would even things out. I think in the in the in the new movies, they just didn't really. Nobody felt. Like they could go up to him and say, "What are you doing with with this dialogue?" Right. Yeah. yeah. And so they just said, "Well, we'll try and and I think he had a better editor back in the <laughs> the original days too." Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I have I enjoyed the version. I have absolutely no problems with even the direction, the directing. Uh, like like you mm-hmm. say, it's it's mostly the dialogue uh, that bothers me that that. It seems the visual spectacle uh, took precedence over some of the characters in the story. Although, overall, they're good movies. Mm-hmm. The first trilogy, I think, the originals, I think, were great movies. But this, you know, the prequels, I think, are good movies. I enjoyed them. And you know, I hope the third trilogy will go back to being great movies. I'm, well, I'm, I'm very excited about that because... From your lips I, to Mickey's ears. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it seems to me like they're really they're really paying attention to um, just the whole general. Well, for for one thing, it seems like if I were Disney and I just bought this thing, I would be wanting to step it up and get it going and have it start 
<laughs> working and making money for paying back that that those billions of dollars. Yeah. But um it it seems like they're really trying hard to 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 do it the right way and I mean in in the old days when when something went its copyright would expire in 20 years, you know, by now we would have had people outside of George Lucas just doing a Star Wars movie. Right. These days, so I've always been curious as to what that would be like if you know. And now they're saying, you know, maybe John Williams won't do the music and and stuff like that. And that is very interesting to me. I I, I sort of can't, now with you've seen a little taste of it with fan films and stuff like that. But now it's sort of getting into the area of fan films with hundreds of millions of dollars <laughs> and famous yeah. fans. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's a good sign that they're not rushing it because Disney has a history of cranking out direct-to-video sequels for, for especially their animated movies, and that's, that's strictly to make money, you know. But mm-hmm. the fact that they're not cranking this out, you know, I, I think they realize what they've got. Oh, yes. You've got to be real careful to keep what they got. Not necessarily for the creative wonder of it, but, you know, they don't want to run it into the ground because they're a company. They want to make money, and they realize this is very important to that. So hopefully, even if money is the reason, hopefully creativity will be the result. Mm-hmm. It, I, I seem to get the whole feeling from it that they not only think that they have to do do it right, but that there's even the possibility that they could start Im- improving and expanding on it in a positive way. Right. And uh, I've seen a lot of signs from that. I've seen, I, I think the best thing is I haven't seen any warning signs <laughs> is the huh. probably most encouraging thing. Well, let's hope that uh, continues to be the case. Well, you know, it seems like most of the rest of the world... It, the the most exciting thing for them with this uh, with this buy you know merger whatever you want to call it of of Disney uh, acquiring Lucasfilm is the the next uh, the next movie the next uh, trilogy whatever for me it's still just that idea <clears throat> excuse me of um, of Star Wars being back at Marvel Comics you know being back you know in house kind of back where it belongs in my opinion just because you know that's what I came up on. Um, and you know, everybody that I know, all my friends and everyone has been cautioning me that, you know, don't get your hopes up cause you know, darn well, you know, that they're not going to call up, you know, Joe Duffy and, um, Carmine and, and, and Cynthia Martin. And, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, you know, all the old guys and say, you know, all right, you know, pick up where you left off. So yeah. I, I know you didn't in, intentionally do it, but now you're torturing me with this idea that you've been thinking about it, you know, that, that you actually <laughs> want to do exactly that. I love that idea. Well, I've just been thinking about it since yesterday. I mean, <laughs> it's a long-term thing. But that would be my greatest, that would actually be, you know, if I could have one wish for this thing, that would be it. It was that, you know some of the original folks would look back at their material and go, okay, you know, now I have an, a, a second chance to, to carry this forward. I think that's awesome. Because if, if you don't mind my asking about it, uh, according to, um, I, I guess, legend, you would call it. According the internet? To, uh, to what I've internet? heard. No, I, this doesn't come from the internet, but according to what I've heard, mm-hmm. th- this is the story as I've heard it. Around it's the clothesline? You, you left... Yeah. 
the title basically because you were there, you were, you know, you were in the trenches putting out the stories and everything. <clears throat> and then uh-huh. when Jedi came along, they basically handed it to another team and you felt slighted and left. Is that a, an accurate representation? That's pretty accurate. Yeah. Um, I, I, again, it was like, you know, treading water was, it was difficult. I, I was in there every month doing the story and I, I felt I had earned the plum of adapting the third movie. Now, I gave it to Archie Goodwin, who is, you know, I will take a backseat to no one in my respect for Archie. He was probably the best writer at Marvel at the time. He's a better writer. He was a better writer, you know, uh, R.I.P., than, than I was at the time. And, you know, so I couldn't, you know, uh, say, no, you can't give it to a lesser writer. He's good, but I figured I had earned, you know, that little plum assignment. And I, I gave him an alternative. say, okay, well, how about if I do the novelization? And they turned me down on that. And I figured, well, that's two slaps in the face for someone who's been, in the, like you say, in the trenches doing the, the tough work. And I just, I didn't have a lot of power. What else could I do? Uh, the only thing I could do and, you know, reaction to what I thought was a slight was to leave the book. And, and that's why I left, yes. Which is a, an, an absolute shame. Because like you, I, I do greatly respect uh, Archie Goodwin as well. And, uh, you know, the guy's a legend. However, yeah. this this will probably he's a great writer. I didn't think he was a great Star, Star Wars writer. That's the thing. When he wrote Star Wars, that was in the period I consider oh. the Star Wars comic period, where right. that's where I first started picking it up. So I mean, I really love that stuff because it's just right. formative to me. But wow. it was the stuff where you, you would read it. It was very similar to the old Star Trek comics, the mm-hmm. you know the the old old Star Trek comics by. Um, gold key and stuff like right. that where where you would read it and you would be like okay this is a completely different universe than what you see on the tv show or the right. you know the enterprise would land on the ground and a, and a hatchway would come out and they would walk out onto the planet and exactly. stuff and that's sort of how i pictured the the it, you know i was re- it felt like marvel the marvel comics of the times and i felt like i was reading a marvel comic with the Star Wars characters in it. Exactly. See, it, there's a delineating line, and I'm in my head I'm thinking it's probably issue, I think it's 49, where the, the where, there, where yeah. Mike Barr did the I Jedi story. That's kind of the delineating line between old Star Wars comics that are like what you're talking about, like the Gold Key Star Treks, and then you know, they're this precursor to your run that felt more like the movies and, and newer Star Wars as we were getting it at the time. And so to hand Jedi to Archie Goodwin, with all respect, kind of takes us all the way back to where we were with, with the older Star Wars feel and kind of that newspaper Star Wars feel. And we, as, as kids and as readers, we could feel that, that shift. And I think that's why Jedi of the three adaptations doesn't really hold up. It's definitely huh. the weakest of the three. I thought it seemed the most rushed of, and a, and a lot of that, it seemed Al Williamson's artwork was a little rushed for it. And, and I, it also it's definitely a many hands project as well. It was, uh, yeah, it was one of those things also where it was on the, when it first came out, it was on that new Baxter paper and it had the sort of painted. Yeah feel to the coloring and i never liked that as much as the old school solid colors and newsprint 
Well, you can never, you never know what happened, you know, behind the scenes. There could have right. been a lot of pressures, and you know, I've done, I had three movie adaptations, and I know that they have their own problems. Plus, you're, you know, the story's right there. You know, someone hands you the story, you have to follow the script and do the best you can. So, I don't really know what happened, but hey, okay. Well, yeah, you you left Star Wars, and then I believe it was about two months later, as far as uh, uh, you know, hitting the rack time goes that you were on uh, further adventures of of Indiana Jones. So, kind of give us your your origin story as far as discovering Indian and getting the indie gig. How did how did that all work for you? Well, I, pretty similar to Star Wars. I, I went to see Raiders of the Ark, Lost Ark, with with no expectations and came out of the theater blown away. Loved the movie and. Uh, I believe Wheezy, Louise Jones, uh, who had been editor on the Star Wars books, many of the Star Wars stories that I did, I believe she offered me the book. I really can't remember any other... I don't know that I asked for it. Um, but anyway, I, I, I got the gig. So that's... And it was like Star Wars. I loved the movies. Uh, and I loved the idea of being able to play with these characters, come up with these stories. So that's... The, pretty simple there and, and once again you captured the feel of it in Absolutely. a different way than in, in star wars because you got the in, in star wars i think a lot of it was having the characters down and the new characters in this one it was sort of having the story beats down so reading re- reading your stories was very similar to seeing well all we had to go on was raiders of the lost ark which right, is right. which is very funny and we've been catching you actually anticipating a lot yes. of stuff that happened in Temple of Doom and 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 all the subsequent yeah. other Indiana Jones movies. Of course, you know, it's it's an adventure story, so you're gonna run into rope bridges quite often and stuff like that. Yeah. But uh and and Mexican standoffs and stuff. But we've we've but been there, catching, yeah, catching quite been, a few things. There have been entire sequences where where you predicted an entire sequence that was going to happen in a later film and I'd get the biggest kick out of that. I think Well my first thought is like, oh this is just a rehash of Temple of Doom and then I think, wait a minute, Temple of Doom hasn't happened yet. <laughs> So, well, so I'm glad you made that different differentiation. Yeah. So your superhero identity, we've decided, would be the predictor because you you had this uncanny ability to predict what uh, what the film uh, people were going to be doing. Well, maybe that's why they would. They, maybe like the the up highs would you know the the Spielberg and would would call up Marvel and say you know put you on that book so they could you know they've we've run dry on the new indiana jones movie <laughs> michelini on the well that would be nice i i tell you the one thing that that thrilled me i think the most about doing that talking about the higher ups calling and stuff was uh i went out to lucasfilm with uh was tom defalco and elliot brown i believe was the editor uh of the book at the time but i did the the adaptation of temple of doom uh and and I was told by one of the, the people we dealt with at Lucasfilm that Steven Spielberg liked my writing on Indiana Jones. Wow. And that just, you know, uh, that's like God coming down and saying, I appreciate you going to church. That really, really, you know, made me feel good. So that's my only experience with Steven Spielberg. And maybe it's, you know, just someone, you know, flattering me. I don't know. But it was, it was pretty cool to hear. Definitely. 
Well, you know, uh, again, according to legend, John Byrne famously stormed off the book because of his frustrations dealing with, I, I think it was a liaison or something between Lucasfilm and Marvel. So did, yeah. did you get any of that? Did you feel any of that? Well, I, you know, I sure don't remember having problems with Lucasfilm pretty much. Again, this was decades ago, but I, I remember actually dealing with, I mean, I had occasional problems with Marvel, but I mean, I, I don't, I don't remember, you know, anybody saying, no, you can't do this. You can't do that. Of course, maybe I was coming up with, again, I try to make <clears throat> licensed characters, you know, as close as I can to the source material and, Maybe John was going his own direction. I don't know. I haven't talked about him, but I, I don't recall having many, if any, problems with Lucasfilm on Indiana Jones. Well, I've noticed with, and you know, and it's always like this. It's the um, oh, what was that movie, Rashomon Factor, where you have you know so many different stories where you where, where I'd hear some stories about oh yeah, Lucasfilm was always putting the kibosh on everything, and then and then sometimes I hear like you where well, I didn't hear. Then again, that makes me think that maybe some writers were like, you know, I want to write a story about Luke Skywalker's nephew, and right. you know, and but, I want the one where Luke and Princess Leia get married, and then they said, right. no, you can't do that, and they said, ah, Lucasfilm is crushing me. So it's <laughs> well now that my creative yes. <laughs> now that I think about it, what I had heard more of was that um, you know, burn. A lot of the the problems he was having come from the artistic side because you know of course he was a writer artist on the on the book so you know maybe it was more from an artistic standpoint but I know that they made him re, you know keep redoing pages and and things oh, wow. as if he could do, just do a reshoot like it was a movie you know not understanding the whole comic book process that uh -huh. no this has to be entirely recreated if you want me to change things so yeah yeah could be. You know, we have to uh, confess that we're not quite as uh, as familiar with the Indiana Jones material as we are with the Star Wars material, um, simply because we haven't reread it since we were we, kids. We, yeah, I was going to say we will be in the next year. Yeah. So we've been. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, contact me next January. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've you know we've been slowly rereading it uh, for coverage on the show, and uh, we're up to I believe it's issue eight right now, and. Um, I hope this comes off as the comment that I that I wanted to come off as, but we're finding it to be much better than we remembered, and and I, I know that sounds like a backhanded compliment, but we just in our memory, the book kind of quickly tapered off after Byrne left, and we're finding that no, that's not the case um, that, at all. That your stories are fantastic, so I'm not sure what it was. I, I think what it was is some of the later artists that come in. Didn't quite yeah. capture the look of Andy, but but uh, so far we're we're really digging the material. It's usually, well, it's usually just the opposite. It's usually when you're older and you go back to that stuff that you read as a kid, and you go, "Oh, okay, this is a little sketchy." You know, this oh, isn't yeah. as wonderful yeah. as I thought. But uh, yeah, we I I've just I I remember like I think it was basically I loved John Byrne's artwork so much at that time, and it was you know the classic Byrne and Austin meticulously drawn to issues that as a kid i just expected it to be like that every yeah. issue and once again having no idea what it took to maintain that quality on an issue to issue basis and have it come out every month would pretty much be impossible but i think that was my attitude plus i was 
not that bright then. <laughs> I mean, I'm not that bright now, so I must have been really not that bright then. Well, I think you've got a point. One of the advantages of my run on Star Wars was that almost every issue was Walt Simonson and Tom Palmer. Mm. We had, you had yeah, policy all the way through. And Indiana Jones did have uh, a bad case of uh, musical artists. Yes. Um, so that had, I mean, the, they had some good artists. I mean, Kara Gamble was terrific. He was probably perfect, but he couldn't do a monthly book. Uh, and, and some of the other, I mean, you had, uh, who is this? Uh, I've got the issues in front of me, but they're in plastic bags. I know that Ditko came in very late in the run. Um, Beyond him, I think Trimpey was in there for a while. Yeah, Uh, yeah, Herb Trimpey. Howie Chaikin did. Chaikin, yes, that's right, yeah. Chaikin did a a nice job, but he did one issue. Ron Frins did two issues. Uh, Well, who were these people? This is back in the time when they didn't... uh, didn't have the creator credits on the cover, so I have to take these out of the bags. I haven't reread them. And I'm trying, who is this? Dan Reed. Dan Reed. Dan Reed. Been a lot. Bulanati. I'm sorry, did two issues. But yeah, you got an issue of this, an issue of that, and then Ditko. And it was it was tough as a writer, too, because I wasn't writing them full script. Like a screenplay, I was doing a plot, then the pencils would come in, and I put the dialogue to the pencils, and then they were inked. So when you got, you know, every or three issues, you got a new style, a new way of storytelling. It was it was difficult to, uh, made it difficult to keep consistency in the script. So I worked very hard at that, especially with the characterization. But yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult to, again, to keep an audience when you've got a different look every couple of issues, mm-hmm. as well as if you're doing musical writers as well, you've got different viewpoints. So uh, people don't really realize, frequently don't realize how, consistency is important in building the readership of, of a comic. And we we didn't have a lot of that in Indiana Jones, I'm afraid. If you'll uh, indulge me for a moment, I, I've, I've tried to keep this uh, on track with, with just your... your I cannot believe Indiana you've Jones. gone this long. Yeah, I know, your Indiana Jones work, but there, there's something I'm dying to ask you. So okay. i got to back up a minute and kind of tell the story for the listeners so they, they know where I'm going with this. But last episode, one of the issues we reviewed was uh, The Further Adventures of Indiana Jones number 7, in which there was this river sequence um, in Africa, <clears throat> which, uh-huh. to my mind, very much played out like the world-famous Jungle Cruise in both Disneyland and Walt Disney World. So I contacted you. That was the whole nature of of, uh, of opening this dialogue with you and asked right. about that. And you completely blew my mind by saying that not only no, what you weren't thinking of that consciously, but also that you've never been to a Disney park that really blew me away because years before I, I came to work for Disney and years before any interest or, or fascination or, or knowledge or anything, pretty much complete ignorance to be perfectly honest ab- about everything Disney I was reading your Iron Man run uh, with you and, and Bob Layton and, uh, and J.R.J.R. And uh, even as ignorant as I was of all things Disney during that time, I drew a real parallel between your portrayal of Tony Stark and Walt Disney. And huh. there was a point where, where Stark was trying to recreate his company and, and basically pick himself up by the, by the bootstraps and... and build a new uh, a new company and a new and basically have a new mission in life and the complex that he was constructing was very very epcot 
including a monorail system and everything. And I've always wondered, was that a conscious decision on your part or am I just seeing something there that's not really there? Uh, I think the latter. I mean, I never, I mean, I don't know anything about Walt Disney or his, his, uh, you know, history. I mean, I watched Disneyland on TV when I was a kid or the wonderful world of Disney or whatever. But, uh, no, as far as the monorail and everything, that would have to be to the uh, the artists. I mean, John Romita Jr. Um, pretty much designed. I mean, Bob did Bob Layton did a lot of the designs of of armor and people and stuff. Jr. was the you know the designer of the visuals of the uh, the buildings and such. So maybe they were influenced by Epcot and so forth. Um, as far as the the river thing, my inspiration was a hippopotamus. I saw on a TV somewhere that the most dangerous animal in the jungle is a hippopotamus. Hmm. And I thought, my God, this big lumbering thing, rhinoceroses, tigers, stuff. No, how incredibly vicious hippos were. I thought, wow, that's great. I've got to put Indiana Jones against the hippopotamus. So that's where the, uh, the whole jungle river thing came from. So no, it, it, it's interesting how connections are made that aren't, aren't accurate but are valid. <laughs> so that's <laughs> interesting. Well, speaking of uh, of artistic license and that sort of thing, maybe you can solve a mystery for me. So, something of a beef, as it were, that I've had with one Uh-oh. issue all these years. As much as I, I love Uh-oh. Indiana Jones and everything, I, I tracked this down to make sure that it was one of your issues, and it is. It turns out that it's in number 14. This has stuck with me all my life, I swear. Um, there's, a, there's a sequence where Indy and Marion have to get away from the bad guy. And so Indy lashes his whip to a bedpost that's sitting on one side of a room, stretches it across the room, out the window, and then the perspective changes to an out-the-window shot of Indy and Marion climbing out the window, and there's a good 60 foot of whip still below them for them to go all the way down the building. So I just need to know, is that your fault or is that David Mazzuchelli's fault? Because whips are maybe, what, 10, 12 feet at most. And this is like a hundred foot whip that Andy has in this story. Well, I mean, it, well, if you read the uh, all the background details on Indiana Jones, you'll learn that his whip was actually made of stretched nylon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I'm looking at that right now, and uh, I don't think it's a hundred feet. It's more like eighty-five. But yeah, that's, that's <laughs> artistic license. I, I never noticed that, but. Uh, uh, you do have something of a point. <laughs> and, and I will attest that when we were kids, he would rant and rave about that. <laughs> How could that be? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad to have been part of something that uh, engendered uh, con- uh, conversation. You know? Oh, yeah. Well, you're a true gentleman not to throw Mazzuchelli under the bus either. <laughs> but, but oh, no. I understand. We'll, we're, we're going for him next. <laughs> Look at him up next. Yeah. All right. Well, since you're so good natured about it, I, I do have to ask you about one other thing. Um, uh, that is, yeah. oh, you know where I'm going with this, don't you? The, the in, infamous Hoth stuff storyline. What, what happened? To what? Well, this is the, the story um, of. I know, I've got it in front of me. What do you mean? What happened? <laughs> what does that mean? It's, what happened at the end, or how did this happen? Or, or? I ba- yeah, basically, how did this happen? Because the we you know in our coverage when we got to that issue, this is one of those that we were kind of both 
both looking forward to and dreading at the same time because we were like, oh no, this is that issue that everybody has issues with. And we read it and we discovered that, okay, it's not near as bad as everybody says. It's actually a really good story. But the problem is, is that the basic conceit of the story is wrong. That Wedge is some childhood chum of Luke's from Tatooine. And it's like two com- two characters were were confused and almost amalgamated in- into wedge whereas basically wedge was given big's dark lighter's backstory is kind of how it reads is that is that does that sound correct you know i don't know i i'd have to go back and i i know this well basically the story was approved by lucasfilm so <laughs> apparently so it's their it, didn't bother, it didn't bother them uh it was uh, again one of those um Inventory stories. It was something uh, Bob Layton came. Uh, he'll notice he's, he's co-credited as, as co-plotter, mm-hmm. credited as co-plotter. Uh, he came to me and wanted to do a Star Wars story. Had an idea, uh, you know, what happened to Wedge on uh, who was left on, you know, uh, uh, Hoth. So I went along with it. If if indeed he's not a friend on from Tatooine, obviously at the time we thought he was. Uh, based on, like I say, there was just uh, you know, well, there had to have been two movies at this point, yeah, the second one. But uh, you know, if if we made a mistake, then it was a mistake that uh, Lucasfilm approved of. So, next question. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, Scott, got any more complaints? <laughs> no, nope, that was it. No, I, I, I'm glad you were so good natured about it because, like I say, it was just it was just friendly teasing on that. That issue has taken a lot of flack over the years, and uh, and when Chris and I made it to it in our coverage, we found that uh, it it doesn't deserve the reputation that it that it may have garnered because it actually was a really good story. Uh, so I think it comes down to uh, the the nitpickers and the sticklers for continuity having the the real issues with that one. Um, oh yeah, well it, it. I mean, if you go back to the Finch Isis stuff, um, apparently all the Mandalorians who were in that armor were clones and looked the same. So how come Finch Isis doesn't look like Boba Fett? Again, it was. I, I think it's a, a a case of Lucas not having detailed the future. Right. Right. As right. Much as he led led people to think. Oh, I don't. I I think there was a absolute zero percent chance that at that point that that um, George Lucas knew that everybody in the Mandalorian armor was a that was the stormtroopers a, were clones. Yeah, and the stormtroopers were clones. I I think. Uh, well, I don't think the stormtroopers were clones. I think they were by that time they were conscripts because right. Yeah, clones were too expensive, but. <laughs> You know, I, I, yeah, I honestly, I think, you know, he, he had maybe a sketch of the future stories, but, you know, he could tell people at press conferences, oh yeah, I have it all worked out. And then if necessary, he would work it out. That sort of sets you up. So you have to, if, if it comes to that. So, yeah, but actually a lot, uh, the, the thing about the Mandalorians is their continuity is all messed up between books and Lucasfilm Mandalorian and the, the Clone Wars Mandalorians. But a lot of there's a two page spread with Fen Shisa sort of detailing parts of the Clone Wars that's not that far off, both hmm. in the story and in the visual picture of the Mandalorians fighting and stuff. It was uh very 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 prescient prescient to the point of into the prequel movies. Was, yeah, pretty cool. <laughs> well, you know my secret identity. 
I know we're creeping yeah, I, up on that hour mark, so I, I don't want to keep you longer than uh, than you're able to be kept. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was say, that, that would that's be an great, interesting way of putting it. <laughs> that, that would be a great reveal, and if this was a movie, and on the other side, of, you know, we cut to the other side of the line, and George <laughs> is just sitting there with a cup of coffee, just like, <laughs> <laughs> I spread more disinformation. <laughs> What are you up to these days? Do you have anything you uh, would like to pimp or promote or anything like that? <laughs> well, my I, I, the only thing I've got coming up comics-wise is, uh, besides signing trading cards, which is another another thing altogether, is uh, the last Iron Man miniseries that I wrote and co-plotted with Bob Layton uh, back in 2011 has finally been scheduled for monthly, pub, weekly publication in May when the new Iron Man movie comes out. Oh. Penciled by Dave Ross and inked by Bob Layton. So they, I, I hear they're calling it Iron Man Armored Vengeance. They didn't ask me. I would have pointed out that the story has nothing whatsoever to do with vengeance. But hey. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good, so, though. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I did a... Gosh, I, I did figured a, out that vengeance sells 22% more books. <laughs> Could be, because I did a, I think it was a three-part story over the annuals and the Spider-Man annuals when Danny Fingeroth was editing, and he gave it the overall title, The Vibranium Vendetta. And when I, I pointed out to him that there was no vendetta in the storyline, he said, yeah, but it sounds cool. So, <laughs> anyway. It's alliteration. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so anyway, that's the only comic book thing I have coming out uh, at the present time. Do you, uh, do you do the convention tour circuit thing at all? I only go to conventions when people ask me, because <laughs> then they pay my way. But uh, I, I'm actually doing the what is it, the Alabama Phoenix Festival at the end of May, which is in Birmingham. Oh. That's a three-day con. So I figured I'd put it on Facebook and see if anybody out there happens to be in the area and come by and say hello. Well, I don't... I uh, used <laughs> Up until just a couple of years ago, I used to live just across the border from uh, right, Alabama, right over there, Georgia. Yeah. But now I'm now I'm actually uh, just outside of Orlando. But uh, I, wow. I might have to check into to going to that because I sure would like to be able to to meet you and, and shake your hand because uh, it is no hyperbole at all. I, I swear it's it's not uh, just butt kissery or anything like that. You really <laughs> are responsible for some of my fondest. It's uh, childhood memories, and uh, and it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you today. Well, y you are responsible for one of my favorite new terms, butt kissery. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we uh, we've we've been asked a lot in the past. You know, why don't we do more creator interviews, and and why don't we get more creators on the show? And it's kind of a two part answer. There's there's the first half, which is you know a number of creators are always like uh, you got to get to say yes. <laughs> You know, there's that, but then I, I'm always afraid that I come off as just the biggest gushing fanboy goofball in the world, but it's been hard not to do that with this particular interview, just because well, your stories just mean so very much to me, and I, I want you to know that. Well, I have to be honest and, and tell you that that means a whole lot to me, because it's it's... You know, you spend your life doing something, and and you're you're sitting where I'm sitting in my office now, totally alone, with my computer and some comic books. And to know that what I've done, sitting at a desk and a computer and a typewriter, has actually you know meant something to total strangers out there in the world is is amazing, hum, amazingly humbling and flattering. And my life has actually meant something. So thank you. Absolutely, I, I mean it sincerely. 
If uh, if you ever happen to make your way to uh, to Central Florida, um, I would be delighted to uh, take you as my guest and tour you around uh, the awesomeness that is Walt Disney World, and that's a that's a standing offer. Well, I appreciate. It. I have some friends who who go to the Florida uh, Disney theme parks on a fairly regular basis, and if they happen to go back to Orlando, I'll let them know and let you know. It's worth it just for star tours. Yes. Uh, I'll bring my camera. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. Did Did you have anything that you uh, that you wanted to add or anything? No. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Just uh, thank you, Scott and Chris, for your uh, your 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 kind uh, your your gentleness with me on <laughs> our gentle butt kissery. <laughs> yes, yes, that too. Thank you very much. It's flattering, and I appreciate the interest. Well, if you uh, if you are available in future, we sure would like to have you back. We actually do a number of different shows in addition to uh, to Star Wars. Basically, how our format of our show works is the first Monday of the month is Star Wars, second Monday of the month Star Trek, third Monday is uh, comics and gen- just general comic talk, and then we have wild card shows after that. We would love to have you back for just general comics talk because uh, I mean, yeah, I, yeah we're I, just. Touching on the tiniest exactly. slice of your career, you know, with Star Wars and Indiana Jones, you know. I mean, I, I well, of course have been familiar with your work all my life, but it was really, you know, when I really sat down and poured over an actual bibliography, I'm like, holy cow! And so, yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's so much stuff I'd like to talk to you about beyond uh, just Star Wars and Indy. Well, you know, hey. I'd be happy. Just <clears throat> give me enough notice so I can read the comics over and remember what the hell I was doing. <laughs> okay, it's a deal. That's fantastic. Again, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's it's been a pleasure, honestly. Uh, the pleasure is mine. Thank you guys for your interest and good luck with the podcast. Thank you very much.
Star Trek Monthly Mondays, available the second Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. These freaks are dedicated, hard-working people. I'm Batman. Whosoever holds this hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of thought. This looks like a job for Superman. It's a dying man! It's the Rocketeer! Gentlemen, you're up. <laughs> Comics Monthly Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com. We're back with Star Wars Whoa. Monthly Monday 48. <laughs> Did I scare you there? I make my head spin. It's like you're walking down a hall and you and like all of a sudden out of the doorway. Hi! <laughs> and we're back from a little break. And I'm Chris Honeywell. And I'm here. We brought we've we've uh jettisoned our first special guest and brought in another one. The <laughs> the irredeemable shag. Hello, it is I from the Fire and Water podcast. I'm happy to be here. Looking forward to doing this. Now, Chris, let me ask you. Um, sure. You know, we've been doing the Star Wars Monthly Mondays for a while now, and I listened to the last episode, and you brought in another host or something to replace me. Is that what happened? So, yeah. <laughs> well, what the hell is that? I mean, we've got a we've got a banter. <laughs> we've got a routine down. It's We're that drunk guy has been sleeping out front of the the studio for the last few months. Yeah, let the me back in. <laughs> <laughs> this schlub you're kidding me he, he he's does replaced me <laughs> right <laughs> well i feel replaced and i'm I'm offended i take it personally <laughs> i've never heard anybody say they feel replaced i feel replaced I feel replaced i like that <laughs> i'm gonna use that someday mm-hmm mm-hmm <laughs> Well, Shag, you you did a fantastic job uh, filling in for me there a while back, and I do appreciate it, buddy, very much. Well, thank you. It's an honor, sir. <laughs> you why know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me back in. Yeah, I was I was grooming Shag to like to like fill in all the gaps, and you're gone for one month. I tell you, the damn all thing's called grooming. Two, the damn <laughs> thing's called two true freaks, not three. You're a third wheel. <laughs> And and when just call me Mr. Redundant. There was a lot of confusion because <laughs> Scott was like, We're gonna groom, you know, it's up to you to groom Shag to take my place. And I didn't know that grooming was not to be taken, you know, literally. So <laughs> like, like filing his toenails and stuff, which He's been picking you know, the bug the fleas out of my hair. It's bugging me. And I don't even have much hair for you to pick fleas out of. His coat has never looked shinier either. <laughs> yes, he does yeah. have a glossy coat, that's for sure. 
It's got the it's high pro glow. <laughs> My back hair is never this pretty. Let me tell you. <laughs> That's right. You see, it's it's all the way you comb it, and and there's you have to do 375 strokes. But see what happens here. Stop. We're you go from stop. the highbrow of David Michelini. You bring me on, and we're immediately to back hair. <laughs> Combing your back hair, yeah. I tell you, man, that's... Uh... Kissing his butt to comb in your back hair. Not <laughs> <laughs> a good turn. Oh, scary. But, yeah, this, uh, we're, this, se- this segment is going to be fun because we're going to be talking about a big number. The big number Star Wars episode. Episode issue episode number one hundred. Mm-hmm. But first, I know that uh, that Shag had a couple of things he wanted to talk about. One was uh, was a bit of a of a personal milestone that uh, that he wanted to share with us. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That doesn't uh, have to do with back hair, please. Right, <laughs> I promise, no back hair. Um, my daughter is six years old and uh, almost seven, and she I, I've successfully kept her from seeing any of the Star Wars films uh, because I wanted her to be old enough to sort of grasp them. You know, I didn't want her to watch them when she was two and just be exposed to it, not really get it and everything. So she's been certainly around all the Star Wars culture. I mean, she's, we've got lightsabers in the house and action figures and we've gone to, you know, star tours and all this stuff, but she's never seen the film. So finally I decided, you know what, she's old enough. It's time. So we sat down over the last week and watched Star Wars, uh, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And let me tell you, that was really exciting to watch it with a young girl who's uh, six, about to be seven. You know, it's, and it's sort of like all these YouTube videos where you see the parents watching the kids' face to see how they react in the films. I did that. I was staring at my daughter the whole time whenever a big moment would come up to see how she reacted. She really got into A New Hope. She absolutely loved that. Empire Strikes Back, she would not stop asking questions to the whole film. She was so <laughs> into it. She wanted to know everything. So, you know, we're building to the big moment. Empire Strikes Back with Vader and Luke. And I'm staring at her and staring at her. And he says, oh, I am your father. And she doesn't react at all. And I'm like, after, you know, when we either hit a pause oh. or, or the film was over, I'm like, honey, um, you know, when Darth Vader said he's Luke's dad, um, did you understand what he meant? Oh, yeah, he's Luke's daddy. I'm like, okay, that didn't surprise No, daddy, everyone knows Darth Vader's Luke's dad. <laughs> that's true. I think we live in a culture where that secret is impossible to keep now. Yeah, that cat's out of the bag, yeah. Yep. She absolutely knew. But she was st- Stunned to find out that Luke and Leia were brother and sister. Because she had been asking me after Empire Strikes Back was over, she goes, Daddy, how come Princess Leia could hear Luke with the Force? And I'm like, I don't know. She's like, only Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker can talk with the Force, Daddy. Why can Princess Leia hear him? Close, yeah. I know. And I was like, I don't know. Let's think about that. You know? (laughs) (laughs) And then when the movie, you know, we watched Return, she was just totally blown away by that. So, and so from now on, she just keeps calling, um, Luke, she calls him Leia's brother. Because <laughs> Leia, cool. as far That's as she's concerned, funny. Leia was the, because she's a girl, right. Leia was the central character of the trilogy for her. That's cool. So, it was very exciting. So, I really enjoyed it. It meant a lot to me. And uh, then she asked, well, let's watch the next movie. I'm like, yeah, we're going to wait a few years for those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to, I, I don't want, well, you know, I don't think the disappointment factor is going to be the same for the six-year-old, you know. Well, the you know what I mean, you know, in, in hindsight, I'm sorry. I apologize. I did say she has seen Phantom Menace only because we went to go see the 3D version. Oh, but it, it was it was kind of meaningless to her, right. um, as, as it was as a film. 
but I uh, I don't I just don't I wouldn't feel like a responsible parent showing her episode three honestly not at her age I think uh, yeah I think yeah she needs to be a little older before she sees that one so yeah. if I were to show her two it just would lead right into three so what, maybe what I'll do is we'll watch some Clone Wars cartoons or something to tide her over for a few years mm-hmm. the holiday yeah. special right yeah I'll <laughs> back you up on that decision about episode three because Logan was what year did that come out two thousand five yeah. So he was five when we went to see that one, and uh, yeah, he was a little she too ain't young. Been cause, the same since. Yeah, because when uh, <laughs> you know, in the in the final scene, you know, where where Anakin, yep. you know, succumbs and and burns up and everything, he was he was uh, traumatized. I guess would really be the best word. He really was upset by that, and uh, was something I wasn't really anticipating. So yeah, good call on that one. Better call than my parenting. So. <laughs> But of course, well, you know, well, in, in my own defense, it, it I didn't the, know, you know, exactly, you know, this was our first time, so I didn't know, you know, we went to oh, see yeah. it as a family, so I didn't know exactly what was going to be in there, but, yeah. You know, I heard something today that, uh, I, I just, this is something I just saw on Facebook, so I don't know how much truth there is to it, maybe you guys know, but I heard that uh, they've scrapped the plans to do more of the, the re-releases in 3D, is that right? I heard they've been put on hold, which sounds Ooh. very much like scrapped to me. That's a shame. To, to, it, it is, but I can see, I can see Disney going. Well, let's focus on the new movies, right? Instead of instead of trying to, you know, we're, they've already got that. They've already got the old franchise already. Let's get the new stuff going so we can get a new wave of marketing. Right and and all that going, and then put some effort into it. But then again, it's also one of those things. I you know I don't think people are too hot on the post conversion 3D, and I don't think right. the post conversion 3D on Phantom Menace was really anything to really write home about. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't breathtaking or awesome. So I don't know how much anticipation there was. It was. I mean, I'm sure it's guaranteed money. I think well, most people were just... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Shane. Well, I was going to say, I don't think that precludes them from re-releasing them in 2D. That's right. what I'm hoping. To, I think well, yeah, that's to help build hype for the new films. Yeah. Well, yeah. now all the theaters are digital theaters anyway. So basically, a lot of those theaters can literally play a Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. And, and you wouldn't know the difference if it's depending on, yeah, if on, the, on the projector. So, yeah, when, when Episode 7 comes out, they could definitely pull out or, you know, Disney could send out digital copies of the first six movies and theaters could have film festivals and stuff like I'm sure they'll do stuff like that because people will want to do that. People will want to go and watch all of them, you know, and, and then the new one and all that. And Marvel was, Marvel was doing that. Like when Avengers came out, you could buy a ticket and sit there and watch all the lead-up movies to Avengers in one <laughs> sitting. And and also, I think it would make sense to sort of slowly leak them out. You know, one a year, once every one every six months to sort of build anticipation, like they did with the special editions right. to lead up to Phantom Menace. Yeah, I don't right. think they could make them fast enough though to uh, to buy. 2015 isn't that far away. Right. I heard also that there's rumors that they're going to push that back a little bit, which is also fine with me because if they need more time, hey, take it, you know. Yeah, 15's I, not I, reasonable. I have it rushed, you know. I oh, think 17's their first year you're going to see it. Nah, I, I think 15 could could be done. If you want to make something, and, and Disney has the 
you know, they have the resources to put it in. Once you have it planned and scripted and stuff, start, you, you could start filming and then just start all the, the machinery and all the special effects machinery and stuff in process, which that stuff is already all heated up and chugging away anyway, still from, from before and with clone wars and stuff at Lucasfilm. So I don't know. I, I, don't think, know, I think casting alone is going to take forever. Mm-hmm. Who knows how long they've been doing stuff behind the scenes so that they can be ready when it was announced. Right. That's true. I, I, I often wonder about that, how much of this is like running on a script or a loose script, you know? That's well, what I would do. <laughs> since we're talking about all this, I mean, since you guys did the last Star Wars Monday Monday, without me, mm-hmm. um, some, big, some big news on the new episodes of Broken, right? On the director? Mm-hmm. Yep. You, you got your J.J. Abrams confirmed wow i i i think it's a good choice i don't um i think a lot of people have made the point that it's not really the most adventuresome choice but that's okay um he's uh, super eight really showed to me that he was a really good director and a really good writer and now with him at the helm uh, now really i think the focus is who's gonna write the script well, they've already got the script guy. It's the guy that wrote Toy Story 3. Yeah, but I, I heard he was doing the treatment for it and the story, but not necessarily the script. I heard oh, I got gotcha. you. Okay. I heard there was um, talk of Kasdan yeah. and possibly doing it, which I if they could get Kasdan to do all three, I would say do that. It, that may not be the most adventuresome choice either, but he's just a great script writer, and, and it would put a lot of, it would add a lot of heart. And J.J. Abrams, he's one of those guys that I hate smarmy from his image on TV, the smarmy Hollywood style. But I like his movies, oddly enough. I, his movies seem to have heart. At least at least Super 8 really did. Star Trek 09, the lack of heart in that had to do with the writing, I think, more than the direction. So with a good writer and stuff, we could be in for a quite a treat. And I'm just I'm just so excited that we have new people working on not as a slam against George Lucas, but just as a um, celebration of new blood and different points, you know, slightly different points of view. That are, are they are they basing this on George's notes or anything? I think he had some sort of story outline or something that they're working off of. But I also heard the story that that um the guy who wrote Toy Story three sent in his storyline and and George Lucas said yeah this is okay this will work. So I'm not sure who know uh, you know it's uh, how much do you believe of how prepared for the future George Lucas is you know over the years so. He could have totally had these for 20 years, the stories for him for the last 20 to 30 years, or he could have just made them up, or he could have just waited for somebody else to made it, make it up and put a stamp on them. Who knows? You know it's going to be called? Star Wars Episode 7, Jackson and the Hooges. <laughs> <laughs> I do not... I, I, I mean, I, I've gone back and listened to the episode that Scott and I did about how, how to make episode you know what we would do and we were literally we were gonna like we'll sit down and we'll hash this thing out we'll figure out what the story would be 
like in the old days when we were writing for Battle in Outer Space Wars, we were stumped. We were just like, you know what? I don't know what, what would be a story that would be up to the other story arcs, and I don't want to. My brain hurts. <laughs> Let's end this podcast and go hit our heads against the pavement until we feel better. So whoever's <laughs> got that job, and I still haven't figured anything out, you know, of, of how that would work. I could, there's ways you could make interesting stories, but to have a story with the, the, you know, the power of myth, Jamie Campbell style elements to it with the Skywalkers or with, you know, it, I, I just don't see it. That being said, I have a feeling they're going to pull it off. Mr. Gardner, there's been awfully quiet throughout this entire conversation. Um, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. You know, I I've been flooded, literally inundated with little messages and things from folks. I think expecting me to just totally lose my mind, blow a gasket, go on a, a wild rant and rave and, you know, run through the streets kind of thing like a madman over this. I, I I'm I, I'm I troubled afraid, that there's I'm sorry? I, just, I was afraid you're going to say run through the streets naked. I'm really glad you didn't. <laughs> you know, I, I'm I'm bothered by this. I don't know this perception. I guess that that I have some sort of grudge or beef with J.J. Abrams. I don't. I didn't like his Star Trek movie, but that doesn't mean I I dislike the guy. I've enjoyed other things that he's done. Um, you know, I watched Lost from from beginning to end, and that show. A lot of it, feel, you know, really came across as a love letter to Star Wars. I mean, it was clear that the guy has a has a great passion and a great love for Star Wars. So, you know, like Chris said, it's not the most original choice. It was kind of to me, it was almost anticlimactic when they finally announced it because I was like, well, he was yeah. kind of on the short list to begin with. Um, so I think he'll be very serviceable for that movie. I think in a lot of ways the things I liked best about Trek 09 were the Star Wars elements of that film. It was more a Star Wars film than a Star Trek film, in my opinion. So, yeah, I think he's a good choice. I'm, I'm excited to see what they eventually deliver. But as I keep saying, I'm not all that keen on there being more Star Wars movies. I'll take them if I'm, if I'm given them, but I wasn't staying up, you know, I wasn't losing any sleep at night hoping and praying that there were going to be more Star Wars movies, I you know, I kind of considered the saga was over. So I'm I'm kind of in that weird position of, you know, being a huge Star Wars fan, yet going, eh, more movies? All right, well, I'll watch them if you present them to me. But, you know, so honestly, the, the thing that... And I think that might be a good place to be in, though. Yeah, exactly. Having those lowered expectations, you know... May serve me very well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the thing that I am actually really excited about, and of course, this I don't think there's been any official word on this one way or the other. I don't expect there will be for some time yet. But I believe it was uh, Biblio Mike that brought it up on the forum the possibility that because this will be J.J. Abrams, that Williams may not score the next movie, that it may be Michael, and I know I always butcher this guy's name. It's uh, G- Giacchino, I think is how, or Gikino, something like that. I like that guy. I'm actually quite the fan of his work, and uh, I'm excited about that a lot. And I, I like his new Trek theme. I like yeah. I, 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 when I saw it in the movie theater. I was like, yeah, 
And then after I'd listened to it a couple times, I'm like, yeah, this sounds like a Star Trek theme, a, a new Star Trek thematic piece of music, and I liked it. The rest of the soundtrack was a little incidentally right. and stuff, but the, you know, but ha- the fact that he was able to make uh, a Star Trek theme is... For- and John Williams is old, man. Give him a break. And, and if he right. commits to one movie... You know, that's that's going like about a decade into his future. He's going to be even older by the time it's done. Let the guy ha- have some peace. And and a, a new composer has all these themes from the past to play with. Well, two, and, two strengths that I think really work uh, very well in uh, Giacchino's favor is... Uh, you know, for one, he's incredibly versatile. He's, I would say, in a lot of ways, he may be more versatile than than other composers that we've become used to, especially like someone say James Horner. I love the guy, but a lot of his stuff sounds the same. Giacchino stuff all sounds different. I mean, he's really had a wide range of movies. He's, you know, he did The Incredibles, which was very much a throwback to a James Bond score. Mm-hmm. You know, he did mm-hmm. Up, which was very much like a period piece. He did the Star Trek movie. He's done a number of things. And what really cracked me up was I saw some comment about him on Facebook, something to the effect of, yeah, he's pretty good, but you know, Star Wars, really? Well, I guess it's not widely known, but he scored the new Star Tours attraction. Mm-hmm. And it's awesome. I mean... It really, it sounds so much like Williams that I think people just assume it's Williams. And it's not. It's all his. It's all original. And it's a really, really good piece of music. So I'm excited for, I'm more excited about that than anything else I've heard related to the movie so far. But uh, yeah, not losing my mind, not ranting and raving. Uh, Yeah, I'm curious to see where it goes. Plus... There's every potential that this will help both beloved franchises of mine, both, you know, Star Wars that, you know, he'll he'll be good for Star Wars. But also there's that possibility that maybe that'll pull him away from Star Trek and he'll have to hand it off to somebody else or something like that. So I don't know. I mean, that's without, you know, that's that's without the without the new, you know, not laying eyes on the new one or whatever. But that's that's the only drawback I can think of the whole thing is if is if. You end up with the same director and the same composer on Star Trek and Star Wars. I don't want them to get too close together. You know, I don't want right. them to be. I don't want them to be. Even if both of the dire- the director and the composer are trying to make them different and feel different from what they are, I would rather have different people doing those two. You know, I'd rather not have those things sort of melding together into into one thing i think that ship sailed a while ago though unfortunately yeah from everything i've read online that those guys are pretty tight so i mean abrams i mean is probably going to go with his go-to guy unless unless williams really wants to do it i part of me kind of hopes williams doesn't yeah me too because i mean episode one two and three or i should say episode two and three uh, there's not a lot of tracks on those soundtracks that I can even remember individually. You know, it's not that they're bad. I, I, I will. I was. I will come to the defense of those in the fact that we've never gotten on, the yeah. ultimate editions of those, like we have with all the other. You know, all four of the other movies, live action movies, we got deluxe edition soundtracks where you can actually hear the full score and, and hear how good it was 
or in the case of Phantom Menace, how it kind of lacks. To my knowledge, we haven't gotten that yet with 2 and 3, not officially. Now, I have unofficial expanded releases for both of those that I listen to all the time, and I think they're fantastic. There's so, a lot more like sort of in, in, incidental and like um, just sort of atmospheric music than Williams yes. will do, you know, that and not and by atmospheric I don't mean boring, but I mean, you know, like weird percussive stuff and I, and stuff like that. It's it's very interesting. I was noticing that with episode three a, a few days ago. Well the funny thing is is that although episode two is the one of the prequels that I think feels more as a film the most like the Empire Strikes Back. Score wise, I think episode three feels the more, or you know, he, uh, listening to it, it, it's the most like The Empire Strikes Back. It's very close to that score, which you know, not only Makes do sense. I consider that the best film of the of the saga, I think it's the best score of the saga as well as uh, as The Empire Strikes Back. Well, I may have to give him another try because I mean, I never thought two or three were bad or anything. I just there were no pieces in there that really stick out in my mind. And, you know, and I, in listening to them, nothing's really jumped out of me. But, you know, I agree with you that uh, Empire's got the strongest score. And uh, I, I, I was think before you even mentioned it, I was thinking about you, like, really, what's going to compare with, like, the asteroid field tune? You know, the, but one that, have... the one that I would tell you to, to, to pay a particular attention to is when the Jedi Purge begins. That whole piece of music right up through to where Yoda stumbles and clutches his heart is a beautiful piece of John it's, Williams it's music. It's John Williams operatic um, style. It's powerful. It's, okay. it's good stuff. Well, either way, they've got some big shoes to fill, and um, I think I think they've got possibly the right guy to do it. I mm-hmm. mean, Scott said something on Facebook, and um, I mean, it truly pains me to agree with pretty much anything he says (laughs) but he said this bit about how star wars just isn't deep you know let's face it star wars is great but at the end of the day star trek is a lot more philosophical and deep than star wars is and you know jj abrams did a very light fluffy star trek movie and it's perfect for star wars Mm -hmm. and you made a lot of sense with that and i agree that's kind of what clinched it for me thinking that jj abrams is going to be great for the fall yeah star wars is a light story with a deep mythological undertone where star trek is straight up sci-fi you know with a with a science fiction conundrum thrown in in some place and and that's where they're different you know that is star wars is more mythology you know and and Mythology doesn't have to be deep. It's the underlying right. story to it that adds the depth and, and resonance to it. The depth and resonance and all that good shit. <laughs> Man. That's classy. That's classy. Thanks. I'm a classy guy. What's you really are. funny to me is that the other guy that I thought was the, was the forerunner was um, Joss Whedon. And everybody kept saying, oh, no, no, they won't do that. They won't hand him, you know, the two major franchises. <laughs> you know, yeah, they go with Abrams, who, again, has, you know, two of the major franchises. Right, you know, so that's right. Very, that's very funny. Well, the question is, will Abrams stay with Star Trek? I mean, look at Brian Singer. You know, he left X-Men for Superman. So right. Yeah, that worked out for him. So we'll... I don't know if a human yeah. being can make a Star Trek and a Star Wars movie within those close periods of time. So he'd have to give one up. 
I don't know. I don't know. We're gonna we're gonna find out. We'll find out. Yeah. Yep. Well, are you guys ready to jump into uh, a big special double sized one hundredth issue? Yes. Anniversary. Anniversary. Hmm. And I have crafted the synopsis for this month. We have Star Wars Numbar 100 from October 1985. It's an expensive one, ladies and gentlemen. $1.25. That's outrageous. Can you believe it? Oh, that meant that meant in your allowance that one other comic had to go that month if you wanted to hit Star Wars number 100. That's the only hole in my Spidey Super Stories collection, too. I was going to say, sorry, Power Man and Iron Fist. <laughs> Gosh to go. <laughs> so, uh, of course, uh, it's, it's, uh, we got a cover by uh, Frank Sirocco. Is that how it's pronounced, I think? What? C-I-R-O-C-C-O. That's what I would. I looked up on the Internet, so that's what they said did the cover. That's what it says on Wikipedia. Frank really? Soroka, that's where I saw it too. That looks who'd you, like who do you think it was? It looks like Tom Palmer in there it to sure me. It sure looks like Tom Palmer to me too. That's what I was just assuming, but I said, "Well, since I don't see nothing, I'm looking it up on Wikipedia." That's what it said. You keep going. Here, here, and I'll, I'll I'll take a look here. Well, here's right. the key, here's the key how you know it's not Palmer though, because Leia doesn't look like a Tom Palmer. Leia Han doesn't look like Tom Palmer, and Luke looks like Sean Cassidy. Luke does sort of look like. Uh, one of the Hardy Boys. He totally does. So that that's what threw me because I assumed if it painted cover must be Tom Palmer. I thought the same thing. So, but yeah. All right, we're screwing up your synopsis. You're not gonna, Sorry. Not gonna mess with Wikipedia, man. All right, according hey. to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, and I trust Mike more than I trust Wikipedia. According to Mike, it's Tom Palmer. So I'm going oh, with Mike. No. All right. <laughs> Send your cards and letters to two true freaks and tell us who's right. So we got the stories by Joe Duffy. Um, once again, we've got Cynthia Mar- Martin doing the pencils, um, Art Nichols and Sam De La Rosa doing the inks. Um, Rick Parker's the letter and Ascenti's the editor and Jim Shooter's the editor in chief. This issue is called First Strike. It it should be actually. Let's get the hell out of here. Finally, <laughs> <laughs> let's finally get off this backwards ass planet and Endor in the rearview mirror. That's what I would have called it. <laughs> <laughs> Space bound down, low down, and no, no, trucking. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we gonna do what they say can't be done. <laughs> Running spice from here to Atlanta. <laughs> we got a sh- long way to go and no short time stick. to get there. <laughs> I can't believe I know the words to that song. Oh, my God. <laughs> Everybody knows that song. It was a mega hit. I, I watched it a couple months ago. Just because you're a nerd doesn't mean you can't enjoy movies that aren't science fiction. Can you Even just see Darth Vader friends. going, Darth Vader going, Some bitch. Don't <laughs> get that some bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're so off the rails. Uh, <laughs> when I get back to Naboo, remind me to slap your mama. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh. 
with the story, boys. On with the story. We're having more fun this way. Oh, says you. Bastards. People at home are like, will you shut up and talk about the damn comic book, please? Yeah. Well, it, it, the folks at home don't know before this that Shag and Scott like basically tied me up and said, look, you son of a bitch. No more tangenting and <laughs> screwing with the order of things. Let it go smoothly. And I said, okay, I'll try. And now look what happens. Now you're on the receiving end. How does it feel, bitch? How does it feel? Right. It hurts. <laughs> Vengeance shall be ours. It bangs. It bangs. <laughs> Only when you pee. <laughs> <laughs> oh. After some computer flight skill tests, <laughs> grounded because the computer finds them illogical. I'm not going to let you guys screw me up, man. And Han is pissed, man. He doesn't like that. The computer's screwed with everything. They can't fly their ships. The computers won't let them. And the two pilots, the best, two best pilots, Han and Luke, are grounded at basically the worst time because we find out that, uh, they, and they're assuming that it's a Nagaya attack fleet is headed to Endor. And Mon Mothma and Akbar decide it's time to split before they get some more poor innocent Ewoks killed. So, uh, a group of rebels led by uh, Lando attack the Nagai fleet to buy time while Leia's going to organize the evacuation on the planet. Unfortunately, there's trouble because a Nagai spy with the rebels has been giving the invaders the rebels attack maneuvers. Um, so the so the Nagai attack fleet, who is led by Shira Bree, um seem to anticipate all their attack moves and, and are basically just whooping them soundly. And um, so meanwhile, on the planet, uh, the grounded Luke and Han find that Han's old uh, enemy, Knife, has, God, I hate Knife, has been <laughs> freed and uh, sort of has a little pre-invasion attack force forming with these weird lumpy robots. And... Uh, that they managed to get onto the planet before the the attack fleet got there. So basically, Han and Luke whoop a, a bunch of the robots, and Luke runs off to warn Leia and the rest of the rebels. But Han has uh, lost his speeder fighting one of one of these guys and is making his way back. And that's when he happens to find out who the traitor is. His big buddy from last issue, Bay. And uh, turns out, well, if, if you remember, Bay and, and Han Solo have history back to when they were little kids. And you even get to see a story where Bay sort of bails out Han from a bunch of bullies back when, when, they, were, when they were actually just sort of shrunken town versions of their adult <laughs> selves, which I guess we call children. And, and Star and Wars the, babies. Yes, they were Star Wars babies. And... Um, and, but turns out Bay's kind of uh, a pissant because nobody's liked him, everybody's hated him, and then he found out he was half Nagai and has identified with them, and then he found out that Knife is his half-brother. So he's been the one who's been betraying the rebels all along, and, and of course Han's pretty pissed and, and also confused and upset about this, but ends up... Uh, in the whole confrontation, uh, winging a knife with his blaster. And uh, so Bay goes to help his brother and basically says, look, 
Let me save my brother. You go off and save the rebels. We'll let bygones be bygones and whatever. It's very, it's very strange for life, a very strange lifelong friend thing, but we'll get into that. So uh, Han makes it back just in time to find out that, that Luke has actually beat him to helping the princess and uh, a bunch of her uh, Zeltron pals beat a bunch of the robots that were there. And um, basically, um, Lando figures out that uh, the way to beat the Nagai invasion fleet is to break out of the mold, to push the envelope, and to basically copy Han Solo and start fighting unpredictably, <laughs> which sends him you know, run, turning tail and running. So uh, basically, uh, the, this battle is won, but it seems that this is just a first strike and um, uh, it's time to basically get the hell out of Dodge because there's a war brewing. And that's actually, that synopsis was about, the story of this was a pretty much a single issue story i thought yeah it is a done in one mm-hmm. well i mean i mean a single size issue story like my synopsis only was no longer than i would it it, it didn't take me any longer to synopsize this and figure it out than like a single issue because there's a lot of uh fighting and action right you know, and and uh i really like this comic for the most part, except for the Star Wars babies. That's the most bizarre thing to see the little kid Han Solo. And basically, it's like a little kid's body with Harrison Ford's head stuck <laughs> on it. It's the most, it's just disturbing. <laughs> that didn't bother me too much. Really, it's got a sort of like, there's a little Corey Feldman thing going on there or something too. But otherwise, I really like the art in this. Yes. And I'm glad to have Cynthia Martin back, that's for sure. Not that the art was, you know, not that I was complaining about it, but I'm just glad to, you know, this is sort of the way it looks now, and I'm glad to see it. Do you see the uh, dramatic art change? Because, um, you know, there's two inkers in this issue, and Sam De La Rosa and Art Nichols. And if you look on page 34 and 35, dramatic difference in the artwork on those two pages. See. It's, 34 it's and the 35. space battle. Where... Oh, oh, you're yes. right. Yeah. It's instantly into the way more detailed. It's got a more detailed, sharp look to it. It's almost, it's almost like, um, I, now I don't know which inker is which, but they, they put one inker on for space and one inker on for stuff on, uh, on uh, Endor. That could be the case. I, I get the sense that based on what you guys saw last issue with Sam Della Rosa, you know, uh, my guess is that those pages were Sam Della Rosa and Art Nichols was the other ones. I don't know. But it's it's all a guess at this point. It's right. it's actually the in, just in general the whole the whole issue is the inking and maybe the penciling too, but there's a lot more detail in in yeah. this issue everything is is way more detailed while still keeping her style you know well art nichols penciled over cynthia martin issue 97 which is um 
uh, is the one one of the ones you and I did, Chris, mm-hmm. back before mm-hmm. this the hobo joined us. Um, the one with the torture where the um, guy was torturing the Zeltron yeah, and Dan or something like that or yeah yeah another three letter character. <laughs> so I think I think uh, <laughs> so I think it's safe to say this issue at least starts with uh, Art Nichols. And let me tell you, that uh, Akbar on the first page is just awesome. Mm-hmm. I agree. It, general, it, it, it genuinely looks like him. Yeah. And with a little Rich. cocktail sauce, he would be delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Once What's he's been here is... shelled and deveined, yeah. So he's supposed to be saying, it's a test! <laughs> <laughs> I like that they're watching Han Solo solve the problem and they're like, what the hell is he doing is on he... that computer? Yeah. And he's twisting everything in different directions and he's just sort of sitting there, leaning back, doing it. I, I just... I think that's the dumbest story element that they would actually have computers that would say that they couldn't override that would say, I'm sorry, Luke Skywalker and Han Solo can't fly. (laughs) Yes, it's absolutely redunculous. Yeah, it's 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 just the the most ridiculous story element. That being worse than that, though, is that they're holding all of this out in the middle of the woods. I mean, what if it starts raining, (laughs) you know? Yeah, I mean, it looks like it's got the sort of tropical rainforest look to it. You would think there would need to be a lot of rain to sustain that. You know, you'd think there'd be a daily shower or something. Maybe in the future, that equipment, you can just soak it with water. It doesn't matter, you know? In the future? In the, oh, oh, what am I thinking? (laughs) You ever seen these movies before? (laughs) (laughs) I I was just going to say, if this was like, if this was like a movie and you could see it, I should just get like ejected out of, uh, out the side, like, I I I, also I I would then I would uh, get blow I would get sucked out into space. <laughs> <laughs> no, blown up. <laughs> I totally agree with you, Scott. I had the same note. Like, why are they testing out on the lawn? They can't do this <laughs> in a ship on the fleet or something like that, you know? And well, I and I love especially what you said, Chris, about Han taking the test. I love how he's doing all um he's also hunting and pecking. Yeah. You notice on the keyboard, it's all two fingers. <laughs> I think it's a great look. It's a great move. Well, plus, so, if as I, much as I uh, go ahead, go ahead. I was no, just going to say, if I if I learned anything from the Ewok specials, it was that Endor is overrun with monsters and magical things. So why would they <laughs> do all this out in the open where one of those big monsters might come and get them or something like that? Yeah, yeah where funny. are all the magical things at this point? Where yeah. are all little like little um, Tinker Bells flying around and stuff like that in the space? Wolford Brimley and all that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe they've set up a perimeter around and <laughs> maybe they've got little bug zappers for those little uh, Tinkerbell things. Jeez. Luke rigged it up out of lightsabers and there's just a little pile of Tinkerbell corpses at the bottom of it. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> you know what? That's what I'll show my daughter to keep her satisfied instead of episode one, two, and three. We'll show her the Ewok movies. I think Chew. I think Chewy probably eats some like popcorn. <laughs> oh, the crunchy. Yeah. <laughs> Just need a little bit of chocolate on these bad boys. You like grasshoppers. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh man, they really missed missed the boat with with Wilford Brimley in these comics. 
Well, I have uh, I have quite the notes here. You guys got notes on this one as well? I In do. my brain. Go ahead, Shag. Well, I was going to say, do you want to just do it together, page by page? Yeah, or? That, that, yeah I like that idea. Let's, so let's starting the, the cover, comics. as All much right. as you guys know that I love Tom Palmer, if it is indeed Tom Palmer, I got to be honest, I don't dig on this cover. I don't know what it is. I think part of it's the muddy colors. Part of it's that there's no real symmetry. It's just a bunch of images just kind of thrown together. I really just don't dig on this cover at all. It looks like they tried to put some sort of design and flow to it with the circles and the falcon sweeping in the front. And there's cool elements to it. But like you said, it's just it's muddy and it's sort of cluttered and yeah, just sort of a lot of a lot of stuff there, you know, without any sort of shape to it. I agree. It doesn't fit the the visual style inside the book, I I think is my biggest problem. Plus, I think Bay, in this picture here on the cover, I think Bay looks like he is also modeled on Harrison Ford, which creates a weird thing. I I, I had a note that he looked like Khan from Star Trek (laughs) 2. Actually, yes. (laughs) (laughs) You're in the wrong book, dude. And just random, like... Just a little bit of R2, random C-3PO, and a Stormtrooper in the background. Right. Just random. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like a fill-in cover is what it feels like. I've done a little research since we've been talking, and the interwebs are completely split on this one as to who did the cover. (laughs) I mean, half the the sites list Palmer, half the sites list Frank um, Kiriako or whatever. And uh, Wikipedia actually lists both of them depending on how you search. Well, maybe one so. penciled and one painted or something like that. So, but I just know that I definitely see Palmer in there, and I know that Palmer was doing a lot of painted covers around this same time because he had done one for the Avengers right around this same period too. Right after he left Star Wars for the Avengers, he did that really, really nice painted cover of the Avengers with like. Captain America and Captain Marvel and Black Knight and all the other guys that were part of the team that's, at the time. That's why I tend to think it might not be him because I don't really like it that much and I usually <laughs> like his covers a lot, you know? Well, well the more I look at it, I, I'm starting to rescind what I said as far as, like I said, Han and Leia don't look like Palmer. Yeah, they kind of do. Han, is, Han does. Luke does not. Luke, I'm telling you, that's Sean Cassidy right there. <laughs> the, w- the way that the way that the hair is painted is very Tom Palmer, and like Scott said, when I looked at it, I just assumed it was Tom Palmer. But then I remembered that old saying about about what happens when you assume, and I remember I've made that assumption before, and then had Scott go, "Well, actually, if you check the internet, it's it was this." So this time I decided I'd be crafty and and check the internet first, and that's. <laughs> And it's and and imagine that it still didn't didn't uh, solve the controversy. Well, I'll tell you, as an outsider uh, of the series, I, I bought Star Wars. My era, uh, I think I've told you guys before, was like issue forty eight, forty nine, up through late sixties, early seventies issues. You know, the introduction of Fen Shive and all that. Mm-hmm. I I dropped out. I stopped reading the comic for a long time, though. And so I, from the Fen Shiza first couple issues up until issue 100, I didn't buy any. And I bought issue 100 off the shelf because it was like, ooh, anniversary issue. You know, ooh, cool cover. 
because uh, it just it it's it's got that sort of anniversary cover whether we like it at a detail level or not it caught my eye right and i and i bought it and it was very striking that the art inside was different and at the time i didn't care for cynthia martin's artwork but that's because i was what all of 13 years old and didn't know any better and didn't you know i was expecting what was on the cover or expecting you know walt simonson or ron friends so um, it was the cover did sort of mislead you, as you said, Scott. It, it doesn't doesn't look like what's inside, right? Very much so. so. Uh, Which of course pretty... is is not really a legitimate beef at this point because you know the history of comics is replete with comics. You know <laughs> the covers have <laughs> nothing to do with what's inside, so that's not really mm-hmm. a legitimate complaint. But, Superman but, dickery. <laughs> speaking of Fen Shisa. He's he's in here by page four. Yeah. There's Fen Shisa, but once again, he doesn't really do anything in this except just sort of, you know, hit on Leia. He doesn't have to to be awesome, though, dude. That picture, panel, it's uh, the third panel of page two. Just that shot of him and Han Solo sitting side by side is awesome. I like that. And they're not doing Ooh. anything. They're just listening to Akbar talk, but it's still great. He's got his driving gloves on. Mm-hmm. Perfect example of how cool the, the Mandalorian look is in general. You know, because Finn Shiza looks pretty much like Boba Fett. Uh, when we were watching, that was one of the big shockers in Empire Strikes Back. Was my daughter said, I thought Boba Fett was a good guy all this time, Daddy. Oh, Because wow. he's in so much promotional material for Star Wars, she assumed he was a good guy. Hmm. And it also goes to show you how badass that costume is that, you know, even kids like it who don't mm-hmm. know anything about Star Wars. Yeah, Finch is as near as I can tell, women are just drawn to him. <laughs> you know, every time somebody yeah. wants to get with a girl, Finch is in the way. Hello. So, yes. Yeah, it's like, hello. And, I'm and I know he's got that uh, that clone Australian accent, you know, which the girls <laughs> like that, too. So he's <laughs> working that. Babe magnet, yes. Yeah, he's, he's shrimping the Barbie and all that stuff. And, <laughs> and they're, you know, they're, you know, what a, I'm, you know what I'm saying. A, he's a ginger New Zealander. Exactly. <laughs> It's, yeah, so he goes all Lord of the Rings on there, <laughs> on there. Well, that's that actually not. Yeah. But um, yeah, basically, I I think this is what he basically did. The last time we saw him was like pop in and go hi Leia, and while Leia and Han, so you know, like this one, it's funny. You know, Han's like, ah, I'm gonna let them do that, and she's like, Han, get me out of this. <laughs> yeah. They, I love the picture of uh, Lando with his finger in his ear, just sort of like dum-dum-dum. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Man needs a Q-tip. I love on page five, the second panel, we get Gronk from yep. Chewbacca, yep. and then the very next panel, poor Chewie's all Gronked out. Man, look at him. He's he's frazzled. <laughs> he, is, he is Gronked out. <laughs> Chewie's been. Chewie's been hitting the local brew, you know, the the local home brew with the the Ewoks for too long. He's just like, we got to get off this planet, or I'm gonna have a serious problem. And an alcoholic Wookie is probably not a hungover Wookie. It's probably not a good thing to have around. Kids, this is what Endorian meth can do to you. So, <laughs> a Wookie now, on meth is not a good thing. Now go up on the same page, page five to the first panel. Two things. First of all. Is it wrong of me to think Leia's just sexy as hell from the back? No, it's not. Okay. Just, that's just, mm, love that shot. Yeah, but then Bay, listening to what you guys said in the last episode about Bay, I think I got him figured out. I know what he is visually now. 
he is. You guys ever read uh, ElfQuest? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Remember Cutter? Yes. Yeah. The main the main dude. He is. Yes. If you took Cutter out of ElfQuest and put him in those '90s X Men, like you said. So from here to four, yeah. I would still refer to him as Cutter of the Extreme X Men. You could take some silly putty, silly putty out a picture of Cutter and just stretch it out. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's like the love child of Cutter and Cyclops from the X Men, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's disturbing on all kinds of levels. I was thinking Forge, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, Forge. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh. I love <laughs> the use of color and the flashback sequences in pages six and seven, particularly seven, but, but six works too. But the, that's really neat because rather yeah. than use the little cloudy panels you know the rounded edges and all that usually dictate um flashback in comics instead they use color to to denote that and i think that's really cool i i, just I agree can't get over the little shrunk down han so they have like the bodies of adult humans they're just <laughs> all shrunk down they're all these little kids that look like they've just come out of the gym you know <laughs> those corellians are tough man corellians are tough so. I guess I agree. They look, I, I noted. Go ahead. They got a full head of hair and a fully formed man face. It's like you, you could see this like five, Han Solo at six years old shaving every morning. Just see <laughs> now, you know how I feel all the time around midgets. I, midgets creep me the hell out, and I take flack about it all the time. But midgets are creepy, man. Now you know what I'm talking about. And here you get a couple examples of midget of midget throwing and mis- mis- midget wrestling. <laughs> midget, some tossing. midget tossing. Dwarf Thank you. Tossing. Yeah. Dwarf tossing. <laughs> well, I agree. I had noted also that there really was no segue. And I liked that, that they just went right into it. It was a nice it was a nice piece, you know? It works really well. And the colors are right. I didn't think about the colors. Uh, they were so subconscious to me, but you're right. This is a good example of those colors. Chris and I were talking about um, on how they're really outlandish sort of almost garish colors but they really work in this flashback mm-hmm. and I noticed that uh, I think that's Mark of the Zeltrons there it looks like he stole Jimmy Olsen's turtle boy costume in this particular issue that's just I, weird looking <laughs> I like how they all have just normal names they just spell them funny right it was sort of it's it's sort of um it's actually sort of prescient of the the '90s and stuff, where you know everybody like would change their name to a different spelling of it. Right. So yeah. you would you would be like it, that was mostly girls, but it was the same thing. You know, you would you would see someone named John and be like, okay, and you're writing it down J O H N, and they're like, no, it's spelled you know J A H H H N. <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> on top of that, I like the fact that Han has no no use for memorizing their names. <laughs> oh no, he does. Yeah, he doesn't want to. He's they're not his kind of buddies. You know, there's right. there's yeah, he has no, no <laughs> use for that at all. I love that. Now I think Luke looks particularly awesome in this. Now I mean I love the art anyway, but of of all the characters, I really like what Cynthia Martin does with Luke. And I was really glad to see that uh, she kept the double blades, you know, the the two lightsabers. Although it could be argued that um, one of them, you know, has gone from being a light baton to a full blown lightsaber. Now they both appear to be, you know, both well, the yeah, same I, length and everything. 
I think he had the light baton because that's what he sort of improvised at the moment, but he might have tweaked it up. I like that she shows that he's like learned something from that last that last um you know encounter so right now, now he's practicing with 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 three and two lightsabers and he's he's stepping up his game he's making he's doing more complicated things it's funny on page nine well he is and he isn't though the only thing that bugs me about it is is this training sequence on pages eight and nine show him using the double blades but then later on, when he's battling those macabre warriors, he only uses one lightsaber. When two would have really come in handy in the in the places where he was surrounded. So that struck me as particularly odd that he practices with two, but then still only uses one in actual combat. That didn't make any sense to me. On uh, on page nine, doesn't it? It's it's weird. He's in his white shirt, and I'm assume I'm assuming since he's done practicing, maybe he's put his jacket on or something. But that middle panel looks like like a flashback to Dagobah. Yeah, you know, it looks like he's just it looks like he's just sort of hanging out in Dagobah with some you know roots hanging around. There's little elements in this that remind me of Al Williamson in the art mm-hmm. here and there in the background of it, which is really strange in a Cynthia Martin you know drawn story. But I I, I was noticing that this time there were there were things that were very John or Al Williamson like. I noticed on page 11, the first panel, Chewie's got, like, dead eyes. He, he, he looks like he's stuffed and mounted in the background. Or, <laughs> or they're, they're set so far back into his fur. Maybe Chewie just needs a haircut, you know? <laughs> Maybe Chewie's been shagging out too long that you're starting to... Not, no offense, man, that, you know, you're starting not to see his face. Well, then you turn the page to page 12, the second panel with Chewie. Would somebody please find out what's up with him? Because he's breaking my heart. Look at him I there. Know, he looks gross. It's pathetic. Well, are you really going to gloss over that Chewie also says groof? Oh, does he? Oh, he does. Groof! <laughs> well, stop me if I jump too far ahead. I'm just going with where my Nia, notes are I think here. I Numb has been shrinking like Yoda and the original Empire... <laughs> <laughs> he's sort of turning into that Yoda, the the first hippie Yoda. You know, this page actually looks like it was drawn by. This page does not look like the other pages. These pages were either done by in a hurry or were not by Art Nichols. I would assume. Which which page are you looking at? Uh, twelve, twelve. It just looks very different. Yeah. Like, and if you look at look at Neen Numb and you look at Chewy and things, it just doesn't. I mean, there's certainly some of the angular lines there, but it just doesn't look right. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. No, it's not because when you, when you get to fourteen and fifteen, the inking mm-hmm. is is very different than the the two pages mm-hmm. that preceded it. You yeah. get to fourteen, page fourteen, that fifth panel. Now I gotta ask you: Does it get any better than Mandalorians flying a recognizer? That's awesome. Look at that. What's a recog- what is a recognizer? The the enemy ships from oh, Tron. Tron. Ah! Doesn't he look like he's flying a recognizer? <laughs> that's basically, what he looks like he's in. Yeah, he does. He does. That's awesome. Oh, that's funny. I was going to ask you guys, what did you think about the ships on the bottom of page fourteen? Like, yeah, they're you... okay. There's a few little Enterprise, you know, sort of things thrown yeah. into, but I, I, I don't think spaceships are Cynthia Martin's strong point. You know, and and spa- sometimes space battles look good, but I. It's it's funny when she has to draw X wings and Y wings and stuff like that, 
you could tell she has a little trouble, but when they're like, draw your own spaceships, she comes up with her own sort of designs, which aren't necessarily very Star Wars-y, but, but they're Nagai, so... so yeah, I think they're sp- supposed to look very alien. Different, alien-y. Yeah. They yeah. almost look like something out of uh, like a modern Star Trek story yeah. more than a Star Wars story, but I think she does better with her own ships because you don't have a frame of reference with them as much as X-Wings, Y-Wings, and the Falcon and stuff. Now, these macabre warriors on page 15 were making me nuts the whole time I was reading this because these guys remind me of something I've seen before, but I cannot place it for the life of me. But I kept looking at them going, I've seen something that looks like that before in in somewhere. It's a fat brass clockwork thing is what it makes me think of like a well it reminds me a clockwork robot yeah fat brass clockwork robot and i can't figure out what movie i'm thinking of well it had like a screw-on head or something like that is what the image i'm thinking of is something where like the head was almost like a like a christmas you know like those old-fashioned fat christmas tree bulbs where it would screw down into the socket and I, I just, I don't know where I'm getting that visual from, but that's what this reminds me of, and I just can't connect it with whatever where it's properly placed. I kept thinking maybe it was uh, Mr. Adam from Captain Marvel comics, but I looked up images of that character, and it, it doesn't really fit. So I'm, I really don't know what, what I'm reminded of, but I definitely feel like she's drawing that from some inspiration somewhere. I just can't place it. It reminds me of was it in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles the character that had the TV screen on its oh, chest? Yes, yeah, that could be it. When yeah, they, when they Frank, take its head yeah. off and its face shows up on the che- a face shows up on the chest of it. Yeah, that's when I was like, and and I think it's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It's one of those Saturday morning. Yeah, he had the little yeah, bubble gum crank, crank, Yes, it's yeah. not who I'm thinking of, but yeah, that's that's definitely a a turtles thing. It it only reminds me of Krang when the when the when they blast the head off and a face starts right. you know turning up on the on the chest of it. Yeah. Yeah, I'll buy that for a dollar. I again, I think the art in this is is beautiful, but I was particularly struck by page eighteen. I think is top to bottom beautiful. That that first panel of Han squeezing off around is just gross. Yes. That's just fantastic. Actually, I'll take you up one more to page 19 when Han shoots the gun. That blast. Yeah. I, I'm looking at the collected edition. I assume the coloring is the same. With the blast is sort of red and white, mm-hmm. and there's a shattering explosion with orange behind it. Mm-hmm. That blast and explosion is like one of my favorite panels in the comic. Well, she does all this with with um, blasters and with fights and lightsabers. She does these exaggerated perspectives. So you're almost looking at that laser straight on. Right. It doesn't look like a long blast. You can tell it's a long blast, but you're watch- seeing it from such a perspective that it almost looks like a sort of almost triangular blob. But at the angle that Han is, and the, her, her perspective is just awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's great. You know, little... Scott, that, that, that page you liked 18, looking back at it, you're right. There's some amazing detail in there. Like the guy's thumb, the robot's thumbnails, yeah. when it's grabbing the leg. I mean, just, mm-hmm. well, wow. this, this, this 
comic really it's funny because i read it last night but i read it as i was falling asleep so i got up this morning and i'm like i really need to read that again because i wasn't paying attention enough and the second time i read it i started picking out details and there's just beautiful details and the art all peppered all the way through this it, mm -hmm. you know the multiple viewings of keep bringing out absolutely I was uh, I was a little embarrassed of myself that uh, it wasn't until page twenty one in that last panel that the close up of Han's eyes where he's saying Leia that I realized that uh, I'm pretty sure that Harrison Ford does not have blue eyes I'm I'm almost nah. yeah so I, I'm surprised because then I went back and looked and yeah he's got yeah Han Solo's got blue eyes throughout the entire issue but I'm pretty sure Harrison Ford does not. I meant to look that up beforehand and just never found the time to do it. But anyway. Yeah, there's um on page 22, uh, some of those in the guy ship look very Klingon. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I had so. a hard time with her, with her ships. They just, even, I also had a hard time with like the, the Boba Fett ship and stuff. It just, it looks like a shuttle from V. It looks kind of yes, bland. It <laughs> kind of bland. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> um, going back a page real quick to back to uh, your page eighteen, Scott. One of the things I like in here is like Han is like taken up for his for his Ewok friends. Yeah, you know, which is kind of cool. He's like, hey, or actually, I guess it's seventeen. He's like, that sounds like Tippet. Mm -hmm. It's like, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, he's gone from you know. Disliking the Ewoks, now he takes up for him. I thought that was kind of cool. That sounds very, that sounds very Han Solo like. You know, once he gets to, once I got to know the little guys, and you know, I mean, they're little badasses. So yeah. I'm sure he, they earned quite. Once they whooped the Empire, they pretty much everybody earned everybody's respect and and admiration. Why yeah. does Han Solo's laser pistol have one of those red kid safety tips on the end of it? <laughs> Well, it's, you know, to keep him safe and make that's, sure that Han knows which side's the pointy end. Yep, that's when you get gra when you get grounded, they, they give you the special, his scissors that he's got at home, too, are the, the soft <laughs> plastic-handled scissors with the rounded ends on them. Yeah. I love, there's two great shots of C-3PO on page 23 when they're, you know, they're, when Mon Mothma and and Akbar sort of watching over the battle and things aren't going well. The, the, she just got C-3PO's posture really good. And the, on the bottom of the page, that's sort of just a standard C-3PO posture. But in the middle panel, there's that shot where he sort of got his head tipped sideways. Right. And his arms stuff. That's, a, that's like Anthony Daniels. That's the the... Very Anthony Daniels posture, and she's got it perfectly. You very rarely see that posture in the comics. You see it more in pictures of Anthony Daniels in the C-3PO outfit. Right. So she's getting she's getting a lot better. She's still, I think, having trouble with R2 because there's very few pictures of you know full R2. You usually just see part of him. And he's still always his perspective, his size is always a little wonky, but I think she's getting a lot better at C3PO as time goes on. Man, I wish that she'd had more chance to draw more to see where it would have 
gone to, you know? Mm -hmm. How it would have evolved. Now, way ahead on, on page 28, that third panel, does it look like Bay, uh, does it look like his dialogue got altered? Because there was a couple, this was the first time I caught it, but there was a couple other panels in, mm -hmm. in later pages oh. where I thought it looked like maybe they had changed some dialogue for him. Quite possibly. Yeah, Chris and I noticed that on a previous issue that there seemed to be a lot of dialogue panels had been changed. And that certainly looks like one. Yeah, it looks like Cutter from Extreme X-Men does definitely has his language changed there. <laughs> yes. And and the line with Han going, shut up. That didn't really fit to me. Yeah. You know? So that might have been something else. Oh, you don't like that? I liked it. It... <sighs> I understood where they were going with it, and I sort of liked the idea of it, but I didn't think it, it worked as much because I didn't think this whole thing, I didn't think the whole, like, because, well, isn't it in the next issue that they actually introduce Bay? Yes, yeah, yeah, that's the problem and is it, the stories are out of order, so you've got no no connection to this guy at all. He, well, in this one, the, at the beginning, they're like, Bay is, like, one of the greatest heroes in the universe, you know, <laughs> right. Luke is like, I grew up hearing stories about Bay's hero heroism Whatever. and how awesome he is. So that's sort of filling in from last time of who the hell is this guy? And then you see the flashback with him. So he's he's totally presented as a stand up guy. And to have his, mo you know, his motivation for screwing over his best friend is is it's just too it's too simple and it doesn't. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't work, you know? It's not realistic. So this whole fight is kind of wonky to me. So that shut up was just sort of like... Oh. Well, I felt like they missed a prime opportunity with this because, well, for one thing, not only does Bay's backstory rely on a whole heap of foresight on his mother's part, but then... I felt like they missed an opportunity here with the character of Knife to explain why he hates Han so much. I think what what we're what we're led to believe, or what I inferred, sibling from rivalry. This, exactly, he feels yeah. like he actually is Bay's brother, you know, or half brother. But it's Han that that Bay loves and that that treats like a brother kind of thing. And, well, he grew up with him, and they yeah. have the experience of they have the life together as brothers. Yeah. And that's only, it's really only something you can infer. It's never really spoken. It's never really brought out. And I felt like that was a shame that, you know, again, missed opportunity there to really explore that in depth. Maybe they will later. I don't, I don't remember. But yeah, I, I, I the, the thing about this is this kind of betrayal usually inspires homicidal feelings. Right. Should, the, 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 their standoff I can understand that neither of them wants to kill the other one because they're brothers but at the same at the same <coughs> point psychologically Bay must secretly hate Han on some level if he's gonna throw him to the to the Nagai you know and and totally totally betray him and totally ruin his decades of you know, building his legend as a space Robin Hood hero guy, you know, who's had many X-Men adventures and <laughs> done all these good deeds. And he's just going to toss it out 
over this because of family, although that, that makes sense. But the passions should have been higher. You know, Han Solo shoots his brother, and, you know, Bay is potentially you know, endangering or kill and or killing and or try and attempting to definitely take out like Princess Leia, Han's, you know, sexy girlfriend. So there should have been more instead of it just being like, all right, let's let's go our separate ways. I'll forgive you for shooting my brother. And, you know, you can forgive me for betraying the entire rebellion to the Nagai, which is totally stupid. It's like, no, I should actually kill you and your brother right, right. now. Or at least at least set the blaster for stun and then have Bay put on trial when it's all but anyway, it just uh, it none of it makes sense. None of it really it doesn't make sense for Bay to be the traitor. But it was definitely a surprise because it doesn't make sense, so I didn't see it coming. It just think, didn't ring true. I think part of their setup, we keep talking about how they they did these issues out of order. Like 101 takes place before 99, and, and then, then there's 100. I think what happened is they had three stories with Bay, you know, 99, 100, or 101. And the editor had to sit down and go, okay, we want the big betrayal, the big reveal to happen in issue 100. Right. Well, shoot, we don't, we don't have enough time for that to happen. So one of these issues has to go afterwards. And, and that must be why they chose it. But because I, I just think it was all based around the fact they wanted the betrayal to happen in this particular issue because it's the big anniversary issue. And they thought it would have a bit more of a punch if we'd at least read one issue with Bay. But it, it just falls flat. You're right. And I mean, he, he just doesn't look like a Star Wars character. He doesn't feel like a Star Wars character. So it doesn't fit. Even though I did like him and Han, their backstory, it just doesn't sit well here. Right. Um, so it. Now, the, the shut-up line, I did like that line because I feel like what's happening is he wants to be mad at Bay, but then Bay's complimenting him. In his mind, he's just like, stop, stop trying to make things good. I want to be mad at you. I want to fight right. you. It's kind of well. But, um, yeah. And the whole, and the I'm nice just thing, saying, I, I wouldn't have to talk myself. I wouldn't have to be like, shut up, shut up. I want to be mad at you, but I just can't be a big lug. No, I, I, <laughs> it would take a lot less than compliments to, like, you know, a, a little little ass kissing is not going to cover up, you know, the the betrayal and potential death of thousands of people and in innocent Ewoks that he's just getting to know and respect. Just getting, uh, just just got down to where I could recognize Tippett's voice out of the rest of them, <laughs> and now these guys are going to come in and kill him. Yeah, I'd be a little more angry than just, yeah. It's hard to stay mad at a Wendy Penny creation. They're just too adorable. So. <laughs> So um, I did want to ask you guys back on page. Oh shoot! What I ah, I screwed this up. Oh well, I guess it doesn't matter. Um, th- there was a the, here it is. Okay, the, when they're fighting the big luggy monsters, uh, the the whatever they call macabs or whatever, I'm back on page twenty. Like where the face suddenly forms in the chest. Like crying, like you guys said. Yeah, it just looks really, really. Those panels look really weird. Yeah, yeah. It's creepy. And I, I just didn't know whether it felt like Star Wars or not. It looks like something. That's what I was just gonna say. It looks like something from a different comic. Yeah. So it, I, I'm, I'm thinking she might be, pay, you know, it might be tribute, or, or something. Yeah, it's, it, it it's a very, it's a weird creature because you're like, is this biological? Is it mechanical? Is it? 
biomechanical. It's very strange. It's kind of a little love, more Lovecraftian or something than yeah. Star Wars. Um, also, I've got another example of inking differences for you. Uh, look on page 23 and 35 at the same time, if you can. <clears throat> and uh, look at Lumaya at the top of each of those pages. And that just shows you the dramatic difference in inking going right, on. Yeah, definitely. Because on 23, she looks awesome. She looks really cool on 23. And on 35, I just, I hate that interpretation of her. She looks a little like Princess Leia in her, in her Endor getup in Jedi. Yeah. Mixed, mixed, you know, with her outfit. But, yeah, on, on page 23, page 23, it's just kind of cool because you can tell she's wearing some sort of, like, chain mail, you yep. know, underneath her hood and, and everything. Yeah, she's kind of, she and Fen Shaisa are kind of... Uh, are, are at least she's doing something in this this uh issue but she she's not used a lot which i guess is good i guess she's somebody you want to like have turn up and then you know every once in a while maybe have a confrontation with her so isn't there uh isn't this her last appearance it probably is but i mean you know, I think I'm thinking at this point they weren't thinking this was going to be so close to the end of the the series probably you know so they were probably setting it up for her to be a recurring enemy yeah and uh so you know this one she just shows up and at the end you know you know curses foiled and off she goes <laughs> i guess i guess you don't have to have you know i'm I, I i was sort of always for some reason always remembered it as luke at some point like defeated her you know there was some end to the arc i didn't i didn't remember that she was being set up to be here forever i thought for some reason i thought she died like a few issues back when i would remember these comics this is uh her according to wikipedia this is her next to last appearance she's actually in the final issue which uh that was something i i was gonna mention to kind of wrap us up was uh star Wars. you know from here we got some mere seven issues left, so it's you know, know. the end is fast approaching. I know, and and we do two episodes or issues. Which I was like, well, thinking today, well, that's seven months, and I'm like, oh no, <laughs> actually, no, that's it's, like three no, and a half not. months. I gotta be honest with you. From here, I'm I'm kind of ready to to you know to blow through the the remainders because. There's plenty of Star Wars comics for us to. Oh yeah, there's so much Star more Wars stuff. comics forever. Yeah. yeah, and from here, honestly, it's I, except for Spotty. one story that I can remember being exceptional. It's pretty much a straight, you know, it's a straight drop, which is sad. But I don't know. I mean, we may still find uh, you know things to to comment on and things to be positive about in there. But uh, I've read from here to the end. I, you know, reread. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, there's there's just not a lot to work with, but uh, there is one story that I'm looking forward to that uh, that is exceptional. But well, before we wrap this up, I want to point you to page 34 and say, look at Chewie there, and you realize whatever happened, he's over it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's happy. Yeah, he is. He's no, that's uh, that's actually space madness. 
It's caught Neen Num too. Both of them. They've lost it. Two panels later, Chewie's like eating Neen Num's head. Yeah, just like you just see Chewie picking picking his teeth with bones, and there's no co-pilot. Yeah, space madness. What are you gonna do? Space madness. What? All right. Actually, I do have one last. I do have one last comment. Don't mean to interrupt your soliloquy there. Um. The, the fabulous Zeltron boys kind of get their ass handed to them by the Maccabee robots or whatever they're uh, macabre robots. Aren't they supposed to be they like were totally... badasses? Exactly. Before. Yeah. They, they, Do when you... they spring into action, when you get them pissed they you know, they might be a little fey and effeminate, but they're, but they are also not, they're buff. They're not, they're not like little 90 pound weaklings. And, and it seemed like when, yeah, when you got their adrenaline going, they leaped into super ninja mode almost, you know? Yeah, because so, I said all they, all they have time to do is f***ing fight, I think is, their, is the deal. Uh, like in the previous mention of those characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry if I just dropped an, uh, an F-bomb. If you need to bleep it, go ahead. But, um, thanks, Jack. Thanks for giving us permission to, uh, <laughs> to do that. You want me to tell we're, you how we're, podcast we're about too? that? Sorry. Anyway, um, <laughs> Dick. So <laughs> I just remember they. Uh, it's like they they made a big statement about this. Like, well, we we don't have anything else to do other than be pretty and fight, and uh, here they're not that impressive. That is I agree. true. I agree. They may not be the same Zeltrons. All and right. also, uh, uh, are are both of you looking at the CBR? Or are you looking at the? Uh... No, I got the paper issue in front of me. Okay. I'm looking at a reprint in the long time ago trade. Okay, so Shag, you don't, you can't see this, but on the back cover is one of the most horribly named products ever. <laughs> it's a, I didn't even put that together. That's hysterical. It's shoes for kids, and they're Velcro. It's like in the early days of Velcro. For one, all the kids in the picture that are holding the shoes look like they might be a little special needs or at least just a little, <laughs> you know, medicated or something. Uh, something's up with all those kids. But the the shoes are Velcro and they have little, you know, emblems that you could stick on them and decorate them. But they're called ripoffs. Oh, wow. So, yeah. so you have an order form to order your own pair of ripoffs. Well, then the, the header on the on the advertisement is start your own rip-off game. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> who approved this? I thought, you were, I thought you were looking at an ad for Cube Lube, which was advertised in magazines <laughs> about the same time to help you loosen up your Rubik's Cube. Your Rubik's Cube. Yeah. Nowadays, we all know what loosening up your Rubik's Cube means in reality. Exactly. <laughs> I keep a bottle of cube lube by the by the computer. You never know exactly. when the. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how this podcast is, oh, <laughs> John Elson, oh, since oh. your special guest earlier. <laughs> well, I just you just gave me a vision though. The cube lube thing gave me like like Galactus running a, upon a Borg ship and going, "Hey." Oh Jesus! Seriously, messing it up. <laughs> any any cartoonists out there want to draw that? You can have that for free. You're welcome. By the way, to go in, in sync with your uh, end of the world 
podcast you did, Chris, there was this great picture of Galactus reaching over Perth, Australia mm-hmm. on uh, December 12th or they, December. And they December like cut 12th. it into a news. Like it looked like it was yeah. live breaking news. <laughs> exactly. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if only. I would be all down for the world end if it was going to be Galactus eating it, and I got to see Galactus like standing, towering above me as cars flew up towards him and stuff. Nah, it'd just be a not big, a big cloud. Oh, you'd be. Oh mad. no, that would be the worst. All right, fellas, we are way over time for this one, so I got to wrap us up. But all uh, right. I just want to point out to the listeners that uh, we, Indiana Jones will return next time. We're just uh, we're running a little long, so uh, something's got to go. So for this time around, no further adventures. But next time, we will uh, follow it up. We'll have uh, at, what do we got next time? We got Star Wars one hundred and one and one hundred and two, and uh, further adventures of Indiana Jones number eight. About eight. You Woo! number eight, Doctor Jones. <laughs> Shag. I, I always love coming here. Um, I, re- I really enjoy it. So thank you very much. And uh, folks, if you want to listen to me ramble more, please check out the Fire and Water podcast, podcast dedicated to Firestorm and Aquaman, and also the Who's Who, the definitive directory of the DC Universe. You can find that at the Fire and Water podcast feed as well. Sweet. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen, again for having me on. I really appreciate it. Hey, we enjoy having you. Yeah, it was a quote-unquote pleasure, man. <laughs> 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 now I'm going to go home and cry myself to sleep in my original 1977 Star Wars pillowcase. <laughs> like, Chris, Chris Honeywell doesn't like me on the show. <laughs> <laughs>